Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 22 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Episode 22. I forgot to mention last week that our, our podcast was legal to drink now. <laughs> I also forgot to announce the US Arc t-shirt winner. And I've forgot to announce this the past like three weeks now. <laughs> Way to go. And that is Lance. So congratulations to Lance. If you are listening, go ahead Lance, and send me your Lance, t-shirt. Lance Kirkman, although it's like the one Lance that posts on everything. It's Lance Kirkman. Yeah. How do you not know who Lance is? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for episode 22, we have my very good friend, Chris Salemi on. All right, that's a Say lot. Hello, you don't have, you don't have, first off, you don't have very good friends. It's, it's you an, know, he'd probably agree with you, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like two against one on this episode. I fully think that that's the case. So, Chris, so let me, Chris, what do you keep? For anybody that hadn't heard uh, you before. Uh, so, majority of my collection is carbon pythons, but I also have spotted pythons, uh, Stinson's pythons, Angolan pythons, um, African egg-eating snakes, Euromastics, uh, speckled king snakes, and gray band king snakes. You're all over the place. I am. Uh, which, how big most of the room? Of us. How, like, how big is your snake room, Chris? Um, I don't know. It, it's a it's a spare bedroom, but it's not your typical size bedroom. So, uh, but I make it work. Because I feel like the pictures I've seen, it's kind of small, and for everything you just listed off, that's yeah, there's a lot of small, yeah. but there's a lot of small things in there. I mean, king snakes are small. Uh, you said stimpsons and all those; those are all small. So That's the room true. is pretty narrow. Uh, it's long, but but uh, but not wide. Uh, but I, I keep a lot of stuff in cages. Also, I'm not much of a, a rack person. You're one of those <laughs> snooty cage people. <laughs> yeah, I like to see my animals. Uh, I know they're there. You, I'm good. Have you kept them before in um, a rack system and then switched over to the caging? No. I, most, I didn't have a big collection until I moved into this this place with the two bedrooms. And then once I had that spare bedroom, that's when, when everything blew up. I pretty much used uh, like 10-gallon tanks or 20-gallon tanks, but I wasn't keeping much at all. Um, I really, at the time, I only had... Like one ball python, some leopard geckos, and the Euromastics, and all that stuff was kept in uh, anywhere between a ten gallon and a, you know, forty gallon or sixty gallon aquarium. Well, I'm like with carpets. I own one adult carpet, and I have my little brettles. Those definitely, I feel like I know that certain people keep them in racks, and I've kept carpets in racks, but like I like them in cages. I think better. It's, I feel like mine likes his cage better. I find it pretty difficult to feed carpets in a rack too, because you stick your fingers on the tub to pull it out, and once I know the rat is coming, they're, they're coming right at you. Yeah, 
They're like dodging. Like, hey, who? Yeah. <laughs> I, use a, I use a hook to pull uh, a tub out on, on bigger snakes. Um, to give you an extra couple feet? Yeah. Yeah, it was always interesting. when I used to have, you know, a special ed jag. And opening that with him, just he would leap out with no accuracy. So just start flailing. Uh, he was a pain. But yeah, it's much easier dealing with any case. And also, I, I find that, like, because they like to perch some. Like, yeah, they'll sit flat. But mine will sit up on top of like the. Uh, I made a humidity hide box out of a big sweater box, but instead of going in it, she'll sit on top of it underneath the heat, and get up off the bottom sometimes. Yeah, I have uh, I have branches in all my my uh, enclosures, and all the carpets use it. No matter how big they are, they'll they'll find a way to perch on it. Yeah, they they That's like to get cool. some elevation. But then, and like all the different species that you keep too. Uh, right now, it's just the carpets that are in caging, mm -hmm. but I do have uh, a bunch of four-by-twos that I have to put together from animal plastics that split in half to become uh, – each one will be two two-by-two. Uh, I got the divider in them, so I'll be putting the, the Angolans in there while I grow them up, and I may even put some of the adult uh, Antaresia in there just because they're so active. I've got one children's and she's a bitch. She lives in a tub. She, uh, I've taken her before, like the education stuff, but she's completely like non-touch. We'll put her in a, like, a little exoterra and it's, she'll sit up on branch and kids can see her. But every now and then she just has a shit day and she strikes like crazy. So she's, she lives mm -hmm. in a tub where she doesn't My have to see people. Like that. My spotted's are pretty, pretty aggressive and, um, they're the ones that if they, they bite me, they'll hold on and not let go. Uh, I've never had a carpet hold on like that, but I, I just have some spotted pythons that are a disaster to work with. It's a shame because those anteresia are such cool looking snakes, but that I, I don't know. I've seen some people with calm ones. Mine just sucks and I hate it. I mean, I like the snake. I just hate that. I can't like hold it and show it mm -hmm. off because they've got all the things of a, of an Australian Python in an itty bitty package. <laughs> but what what movie is that from? Aladdin. Aladdin. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Sorry. Live in space. Yeah, I just went off on the tangent in my head. All right. <laughs> so, April, um, what's, what's going on with your collection right now? You know, right now it's a waiting game for me. Any day I'll have eggs come from my Borneo clutch, and that's the one that half of them molded over. So we'll see how that goes. They, they, some of the eggs might not even be good. Um, they look healthy and good, but who knows? Because that, that mold did its toll. Uh, but we'll see. That should be, you know, like I said, any day. And then another two clutches coming, you know, a couple weeks after after each other. Basically, it's like one and then another two weeks, another one's due, and another two weeks, another one's due. So we'll see how that goes. I hate to ask, but Chris, do you have headphones? I can hear it like when we're, we're talking, we get feedback because of the speakerphone. Um. You want me to put headphones on? Yeah, if you have any. Sure, keep talking and I'll go take them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, where where's your collection at now? So, are, is your room like mostly put together after the move, or? It, well, it was put together before I went out of town, and then when I came back, my wife had moved more of my stuff into it. So now I've got to put it together more. My snake room part, the snake part, is done. That half of the room is great. Uh, everything looks good. I put in. Uh, I don't know if I, I 
talked about the lights that I put in before. I don't remember what I talked uh, about. You mentioned time. them, but uh, well, awesome. I think you mentioned them in the other chat, so I didn't actually. So I, yeah, I hung up two sh uh, shop lights that I got at Walmart, and they both have Bluetooth speakers in them, and so oh. I can just like play music or podcast from my phone, and it blares from my shop lights, and so I get in here cleaning cages. It's really awesome, and they're bright, bright LED shop lights. That's so, freaking cool. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And you can you can uh, sync them together, plug them together, so it plays out of both speakers. Uh, so yeah, they're like four foot LED shop lights, two of them above my snakes. It brightens up everything really well. Uh, so that's awesome. I, I really enjoyed that. It's it's like you realize it's small things in your reptile room. You start to change small things, and I got uh, I was talking to you because you got the the command hook, uh, like broom yeah. holder. Mm -hmm. I got one for my hook on the wall. That's awesome. Like, like it goes straight back into that whenever I finish using my hook. So that command hook's a uh, great thing. I need to get the command hook for the water, the spray bottle. I got to order that the one. Best. Oh my gosh. I want to get that. Uh, as far as the move, that's all done. My tortoise yard. And I'll talk about my tortoises later because we're going to have a video that talks about tortoises, but I'll get into that later. That was, that was a whole nother mess. Um, and then as far as the collection, I'm waiting on babies still. I had a, a litter of Sambo was born, I think, before the last show. So it was a litter of mm -hmm. anneries and, and het anneries. And they're doing fine. Some have eaten, some haven't eaten yet. But that they should. I'll try and feed them again in a couple of days. I've got a female that will drop any minute now. I, I, I check her, I don't know, 30 times a day. I check her 30 times a day no matter what anyways. But I still check her 30 times a day uh, because she's due any minute. And then another female right after that that's due. So I just got a baby rack. I'm probably going to get a second baby rack. So that'll put me at like three baby racks. So yeah, for like a, a bulk of the year, those racks will probably sit empty. But I've got to have them so that when this time of year comes, I'm not wondering where the hell am I going to put babies. So that's, yeah, that's I'm going to order uh, the ARS rack for the Vision Boa Tubs. And that thing is so expensive, so I'm ordering it on an as-need basis. <laughs> yeah. So I need four more adult tubs, and so I'm just going to be ordering those four um, because I did sell my very last snake that I had from 2019. Which one? Uh, the T-negative 007, the last one I had it? for sale. Mm -hmm. So that one. So, so you're rolling in money right now. You're rich. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get um, a fence put in <laughs> and get that ARS rack, and that'll be it. Okay, so that's uh, the fucked up thing. You sold one snake, and your life changes for the next month and a half. I sell one Sambo at a show, and I can afford a cheeseburger at lunch. I was like, you can get a tank of gas. <laughs> yeah, I, I sold the last show I did. I sold 16 snakes. I was like, that's great. And then I thought about like when I sold my my red tails last year. Like, that's great. That's equivalent to two red tails. <laughs> 16 yeah. Samboas equaled like two red tails. And I mean, it's all pending. I, I just dropped it off. Like right before I came in the door here, I was taking uh, the snake to the FedEx shipping center. So it's all pending. Everything goes smoothly and goes well. So it's a freak you, know, you out putting that much money in a box. You have no idea. <laughs> it really does. Um, and, and I mean, at the same time though, like, absolute worst case and something happens to the snake during transit you don't spend the money before you complete yeah. the transaction you know and then go ahead and, and well, do I what think you need to do so that's an important lesson for anybody if you are mm -hmm. selling an animal do not spend that money I, I honestly would not spend that money for the first like two weeks i yeah, know that sounds crazy and, and and if i guess it depends on what your return policy is and a lot of people are, once it gets to you, it's your problem. 
And and I understand that being the the base idea whenever you spit out a snake, but there are definitely circumstances you can understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'll say, you know, I, I won't give that kind of two weeks. You have two weeks, and if something happens, I'll return the money. I don't give that. But if something were to happen and I can understand it and we talk, then I'm lenient. But sometimes you can go, no, you, you definitely killed that. Yeah. You put it in a deli cup on your windshield and it died, okay? Yeah. That's not my fault. I mean, the hard thing is, is, you know, the environment and the husbandry that you keep a snake in is so critical. Like, I think we take that for granted, but once it's out of your hands, and it, 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 it can go downhill really fast, potentially. So my yeah. general rule of thumb when uh, I'm, as a seller, I'm shipping is that once it's in their hands and they confirm they got it and everything is good, that is like final sale and closes that off. But I'm also not an asshole. Um, and I yeah. also understand, I mean, some people probably beg to differ <laughs> on that, but, <laughs> uh, you I know, am I, an asshole, so <laughs> I, I will, you know, work with people and customer service is you know, number one in this industry that we have. And word of mouth is so big that I want to make sure everyone has uh, a good sales experience. Um, and, well, there, and there's get... situations I can understand working with, but I've also worked around, like I've worked retail and I'm a teacher. I've worked around enough people to go to kind of figure out if someone's bullshitting me. Sure. Sure. And so, but and it's a lot easier with, with a purchase like this. Um, yeah. Cause the, that's not, the, that's not a, purpose... a, a... Well, Chris, Hey, you're back. <laughs> yeah. I've been here. Oh. <laughs> but with, with a purchase like that, like the people actually know what they're doing, you know, it's not like a beginner snake for yeah. them. So it gives me confident, more confidence when uh, I sell it to someone who is looking for something specialty like that and quote unquote high end, I guess. How many, how many of that morph are out there right now? Three that I'm aware of and I made all of them. So. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. That's, I think that's yeah. cool. Like that, that's got to be cool to you, right? Like when they popped out and you're like, no one else has done this shit. And there's people that have been in this hobby much longer than you. And yeah, you were the first one. Um, there was a couple people that almost like I was racing against where they tried for it last year and it just didn't genetically hit. And then I got it and was like, oh my goodness. But then also, even with like the different golden IT negatives, they look so different between each breeder that's making them. So I'm so curious when other people make this same genetic combo, what they're going to look like. Yeah. Uh, if they're going to be cleaner looking, you know, with the pattern or if it's going to be really spastic. It's just, it's just so interesting to me. And but, you've got, you've got eggs right now. That's your way. That should be any day now, right? Yes. For my striped Borneos. And then, um, I'm hoping for a T negative golden eye. I paired that. I, I put the ingredients together to make that. <laughs> so we'll see how my luck is on that one. Um, but all those eggs are doing really well and look great. And they're huge, massive eggs. Um, and then I have my super, super dark possible VPI uh, Sumatran short tail uh, gave me 15 eggs. So I'm waiting on her, but she'll probably be another month at this point. Is so 15, she- 15 seems like a big clutch. Is that a big clutch? I mean, probably average. Um, they are smaller. Sumatran short tails are smaller snakes, but their eggs are also smaller. So I was surprised that she had 15 in her for her size because she's not long and super fat by any means. So, hmm. so yeah. What about you, Chris? What do you have in the incubator or have already hatched out? 
Uh, so I've gotten, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So all my snakes have laid so far this season. So I'm done, uh, done getting clutches. I have one clutch left in the incubator, which is, uh, caramel to caramel, uh, carpets. Ooh. Yeah, that'd be uh, cool. That was a pretty big clutch. I think it was 18 eggs. Uh, and then, uh, I hatched out some Stimson's pythons this year. Uh, out of 10 eggs, I only got three hatched. Are they eating everything? No, I, they haven't even. They just had their first shed, so I haven't gotcha. even tried uh, feeding yet. I usually wait a couple weeks before I even try. Um, that was a ten egg clutch. Uh, half the babies were um, fully developed, but dead in the egg. Damn. Hmm. And two eggs went bad, so I only ended up with three three babies. Um, Do you did, have any idea why that happened? No idea. Hmm. I That's did. Like had, almost the worst. I didn't have any weird temperature spikes either. Um, my incubator will, will uh, get really hot, especially in the summer. My my place gets hot, and uh, it'll actually go above the the temperature. Will go above the the temperature that I have my thermostat set in my incubator. Um, so I've run into problems when I have clutches in there late in the summer. Mm. But uh, so we'll see with the caramel stuff once that starts hatching. I usually move the incubator into an air-conditioned room once uh, once it gets later into the summer. How do you incubate? How do you set up your tubs and all? I have a – my incubator is a mini fridge that I converted. And uh, my tubs, it's just uh, vermiculite uh, – perlite. It's like one-to-one uh, with water and perlite. And I put the – the light diffuser over it, and then the yeah. eggs right on top of that. I did start something new where with one clutch, I didn't even use the perlite. I just put the light diffuser with the eggs on top and then a uh, a water bowl mm-hmm. in there. I got that from uh, from Dennis McNamara. That's how he was doing it. So I figured I'd give it a shot this year, uh, see if anything uh, anything's different. Well, we talked with Joe Phelan uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm interested to see if more people try uh, with their eggs putting springtails in to deal with mold issues. That one, is, I find, you know, I've never thought about it before until we talked with Joe, and he got that from Garrett Hartle. But that really would – I'd like to see if that fixes a lot of mold issues, people losing eggs to mold and stuff like that. Just good I spring. switched over from the um – the perlite to the vermiculite after I had that mold outbreak and the vermic- switching over to the vermiculite, I've had no issues. So I don't know if like it's operator error, which is highly possible, um, or if something's going on with my perlite. Cause I did the perlite with the diffuser and then put the eggs on top of that and it just molded like crazy. I think it's also just like all this. There's no one way. We, we've found 15 different ways to incubate eggs and they probably all work. You got to figure out which one works best in the situation which you're incubating eggs. Yeah, I do my gecko eggs on top of water like that, though. With, like, you know, like the gecko egg tray that they sell? Mm-hmm. I just do it straight on water because why not? <laughs> works so far. Or you both could just say, screw that and go with the cool snakes that give live birth and I have to deal with eggs. I'm just saying it's way easier. Well, I've done, uh, I've done maternal incubation, too, and had no problem with that. Do you freak out the whole time during that? <laughs> uh, the first time I did it, I I did. Um, but I've done it a few times since. 
uh, without a problem. Uh, so I usually don't even think about it anymore. Like even with the clutches that I have in my incubator, I used to check the incubator constantly. But yeah. each year that goes by, I'm just, it's more like I'm just used to it at this point and I kind of forget that it's there. Uh, like the Stimpsons, I totally forgot about them and I just opened the incubator one day to check on, uh, the caramel clutch and all the Stimpsons had hatched out. <laughs> Because I just, I just forgot they were in there. So on a maternally incubated animal, you're not going to turn around and breed that again the next year, right? No, no. Uh, especially for me. Uh, so my reptile room in the winter and the fall and the spring, whatever temperature it is outside, it's that same temperature inside. So even towards the, the beginning of, of egg season, that room is still pretty cool. Especially with my IJs, my IJs will lay eggs pretty early in the season. So that room is still dropping down to, you know, like high 60s, low 70s at night. So I'll have clutches incubate up until like day 75, the female will be on it. And there's no way I could feed an animal enough to get her back up to size after she sat on eggs for 75 days. Yeah. That's how I am with like boas and stuff. I they definitely get a year off. I, I'm not going to turn around and try to breed a boa. You know, they've they've held babies for 105, 110 days, and and with my boas, I can probably I can usually feed them small meals the whole way through the pregnancy. But that's a lot to take out of them. To try and turn around, you know, just take a year off. You're good. I'll usually only do maternal incubation if I know I don't want to breed that female the following season. Sure. So it's a female that you know that I don't necessarily need you know sometimes there's a there's an animal you really want a second clutch from her and then there's other ones where you know you don't mind going a season without that particular pairing yeah so i'll usually do it with those females i was talking to um ryan rumbly again and uh we were talking about how even within a species different snakes react to laying or giving birth uh individually because i have one blood python who was you know pretty chunky to begin with and laid eggs last year and looked the same. I ended up breeding her again this year. Mind you, she's thinner this year, so I won't breed her again next year. Uh, but then I had another blood python who she bred. She was the mom of the T-negative 007s, and she just got torn up. She ended up retaining a shed. No matter how much I soaked her, it would not come off, so I had to wait until the next shed. She wouldn't eat for months and then finally got her eating. She's only now, and it's been a year, is actually looking decent again. Um, and by decent, I mean she's not, like, skinny and just looking awful. She actually has a little bit of more fat to her. But it's just so interesting how all the different animals are so individual to how they react to the egg-laying process and how much it takes out of them. And how long it takes for them to, to recoup in the end. Because even the females I had laid this year, they've been giving me trouble with getting back on on feed. Like uh, the one who laid the, uh, the two months ago, she should be at least three meals deep at this point. She only took one. So I'm like, oh, great. This is going to be slow. <laughs> slow going to get their weight back on. Yeah, I've never had females refuse meals once they've, they've laid. Uh, but I have had females that, you know, some of them look like they never even laid eggs. And then there's other ones who they look like a, a deflated pyre. Yeah, you, exactly. You, you pull them off that clutch of eggs and you wonder how they even survived. 
because they have nothing left of them. Yeah, they're no, they're no longer round. They just kind of are a blob. I've seen yeah. those where they just get the, they, they flatten down. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely, definitely you see that and you freak out a little bit, but you're like, I can put a couple of meals in the, uh, you'll, you'll round out a little bit. But I would definitely see April, like if it missed, if, if you couldn't get those meals in it right away, I'd be like, uh, I need you to start eating. Yeah, it's like, can you please do something here? <laughs> um, I'm, these Sambo's, I'm ready for them to go ahead. I'm ready to have babies. I'm ready to get over and have all the babies I'm going to have and then deal with feeding babies. Do you have one more or two more left? Two. That's two crazy. Yeah. So I'm, I've probably got another f- at least 40 babies coming on top of the 20, no, like 30 something I already have right now left from the first litter and what I have in the new litter. That'll be fun. It's a lot of little worms. I'm curious how I'm going to do it when they hatch and I have to start feeding them weekly and I'm traveling so much for work still. Like, how's this going to work out for me? <laughs> I'll make it work, but I don't know how yet. I, uh, well, we were talking about earlier. I think one important thing, because, you know, I'm expecting, again, like 40 more babies. It's important to have caging for snakes. You need to plan out how many cages you're going to need for babies. So, like we said earlier, you know, most of my baby racks will be empty for the majority of the year. And, and I know it's not just me. I know it's a lot of us. Once you have an empty cage, you're like, I've got space for a new snake. But, you know, with these baby racks, I just I've got to have them empty all year long and just and ignore that they're there for the bulk of the year when they're empty and not be like, hey, you know what? I could buy five more snakes to fit in here. Dude, have either of you gotten to the point where you didn't think that it was going to lay or have as many babies as you thought. And you were in a predicament where you're like, Oh God, I have to get more caging. Were you ever in that position? Well, this season, uh, I, I put my pairings together and then counted the amount of slots that I had available in my baby <laughs> rack. Okay. And I said, you know, oh, this, I was like, this female is really small. This is a virgin female, you know, these are the Stimson's python. She's, you know, my Stimson's breed at 250 grams. You know, how many eggs am I going to get? You know, it won't be that much. And then as I was getting clutches this season, it was like an 18 egg clutch, 17 egg clutch. And right, I mean, after two clutches, I had no room left in my baby rack. And then I still had two more clutches to go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, that's really like, I need to hurry up and get these fed and sold. But then, you know, with, with losing the babies from the Stimson's clutch, that kind of cut down the numbers. And then with my head granite to head granite clutch, only one baby hatched. Um, so, again, that, that cut my numbers down. So I think I'm going to be okay. I didn't know. So the first girl that gave birth this year, I bought as an adult last year, but she had never given birth before. So I was like, ah, I figure this litter will be somewhere around 15, maybe 17. And she pumped out 26. I was like, oh, shit. And then the next one went, which I think was like her first litter, maybe her second litter, and she pumped out like 25. And the one that I have coming next gave me, I think, 23 two years ago. So I can only imagine I'm going to get probably another 27 or so out of this one. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just have to stock up on baby racks. Because I'm expecting to probably produce close to 100 every year. I'm going to have to just have three or four baby racks sitting there ready to put babies in. I think that's a decent number. 
And that sound to some people, I'm sure a hundred babies sounds like astronomical. Well, they're sand, like they're sand boas. They're not. They're they're barely snakes. I mean, I'll be honest. <laughs> they they're not really snakes. I mean, even even mine. What do I have room for? Uh, I have room for a hundred twenty. I think. Get on get on it. Your your numbers are low right now. Come on. I know. No, that's that's. <laughs> No. Okay, so <laughs> Not that while kind of, I'm still training for work. No. <laughs> so that kind of ties into the first question I want to go over that we posted. What feels like okay. forever ago on the Facebook page, because I know this week we had to stretch out and do it on our podcast this Monday because I was out of town. Um, but our first question that we posted for this week was, tell us about a time that you felt overwhelmed in the hobby and how you fixed it. And before I go into the question, I just wanted to talk about Jake and Justin over at the Herpetoculture Podcast. Because they stole this question from me. Because <laughs> I, was, I was listening to uh, – yesterday I flew from uh, Charlotte to Baltimore, from Baltimore to New Orleans. I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts on planes. And I listened to the THP one-on-one episode from this past month. And they mentioned us, which was awesome. And they brought up this question. Just uh, Justin wanted to talk about this question. And they did. And I'm just saying, Justin, it's my job to steal from other podcasts. You can't be stealing from my podcast. That was <laughs> – the whole plan behind this podcast was to steal from you guys. It doesn't work the other way around. Well, but they did it. and They done did it. <laughs> so, but it, being overwhelmed, I realized the answers to this question, it's different for everybody. The thing that overwhelms everybody is different. And what kind of ties into what we're talking about is what Jason Brumley said. Uh, Jason Brumley said a few years back he had a crazy season uh, where every single female that he paired up laid. Uh, he was also like moving across the state at that time, had, uh, had another full-time job, keeping up with the snakes on top of his already job. Like it was a lot for him. And that's one thing you got to think about when you go to breed is what if everything takes, cause as we know, I, you know, I have two females that didn't go this year, which is probably a good thing. They didn't take, but, and we, and we kind of know that, well, we breed, not everything's going to take and we're not, everything's going to get pregnant, but sometimes, as Jason found out, it happens and it can be a lot, especially if you're not expecting, if you're only expecting 50% and a hundred percent go. And that's, you know, if the difference is 10 snakes versus 20 snakes, that's a lot of babies. So, well, I mean, here's a rule of thumb. If you pair it, expect that it's going to take, and that'll be like your worst case for how much room you need. Yeah. You know, like, it's interesting to me that people don't have faith enough in their keeping skills and their their skill of being able to read an animal. Mind you, yes, there are some things that happen, but any animal that I've paired up, I've gotten eggs from. So it perplexes me how some people can't. But well, I do understand some species are harder. Mine are really easy, so I get that. Jason, Jason said that his collection tripled in numbers that year by just having the babies. Um and I think it's just a matter of I, – I also think sometimes we give ourselves too much credit, and we don't end up realizing what it takes to clean 50 baby tubs. You know, 50 baby tubs don't just clean in 30 minutes. It's not going to happen. And they pee all the time. Mine do. Or, like, if you keep it on paper towels, my little, I'll come in, and the Samboas have squished, squished up a paper towel, and it's ended up getting into the water bowl and then wicked all the water out of the water bowl, and now they're sitting in water. So I gotta go in and yep. dry all that up, put in new paper towels. And so it's just, there's a lot of things and it's, it's time consuming. And so I think that's one deal you've got to take into consideration. Yeah. 
you're really excited about babies. And trust me, I do. I get really excited about baby season. I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. But then you realize it's still a lot of work. It's If you go from 20 snakes on a regular basis, which is still, for many people, that's still quite a bit of work, 20 snakes. And then if you breed four of them, like in my case, and get an extra 100 snakes on top of that, it can be a lot. So that's I, that kind of when we're talking about that, it kind of fit into this question of being overwhelmed. And I know it's happened to multiple people. It happens all the time. They, they think they can handle it, and it just ends up being a lot. They don't expect it. So well, I mean, it gets it's, it gets exciting to have the babies and to do if you if you are into the combos and stuff to do the different combinations, and it's, it's exciting. So I can see how people get carried away. Another one that I saw on here, and, and I don't know if I can relate to this one, but I, I get it was people feeling overwhelmed from social media. I know Justin brought it up on their podcast. That was one of his. He, he every now and then will you know, basically delete Facebook and to try and disappear from Facebook for a little bit, but he does so much, kind of can't. Uh, Billy Hunt mentioned that. Uh, Ryan Goslow mentioned that that they take time away from online. Um, personally, I, I don't let anything online ever really affect me. I, I can move past it, whatever, but I can definitely see where it can become a lot and can consume you and then get it really overwhelming having to deal with that. I mean, how, how much time do each of you spend on social media? Go ahead, uh, Chris. I don't, I mean, I couldn't tell you how much time, but I definitely don't visit the groups like I used to. I don't post in the groups as much as I used to. Um, I'm kind of over it. At this point. Mm-hmm. Um, every so often I'll post um you know, a new animal that I hatched out or, um, you know, I'll share a, a picture in my memories will pop up from an animal and I'll, I'll post it. But for the, for the most part, I, I'm not very active in the groups anymore. Um, and some groups that I thought I would want to be involved in, like discussion groups, I, I've deleted them and, you know, been over those groups for a while now because it, it wasn't really a discussion. It was, it was just people asking, you know, what, what's my carpet python? <laughs> yeah. What, what is know, this? It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a carpet python. Move on. Yeah. It, it's a, the, the question you hear probably three or four times a day. And uh, I just got bored with the groups. It, I like the old forums that used to be on, on the internet. Um, I found those more, more fun and uh, a, a better way to learn. So, yeah, I'm not really involved in the social media part of it anymore. Yeah, I, I don't go – so I'm on my phone. I don't ever, I never log on the computer. And if it shows up on my feed, I'll see it. I tend to skip through a lot of questions because a lot of it, again, is basic stuff that has been answered 40 times. And I'm at the point now where like 20 other people will answer it, whatever. Uh, I don't go out of my way to go search out. Like I don't go find the group and see what all posts I've missed in that group since the last time I checked it. You know, as a kid, I used to do that. As a kid, I know. I, <laughs> as a kid, I used to do that with like the forums and all. I'd go to the forum and I find out what was the last time I saw a post and read every post in the forum that I missed since the last time I logged in. But now with phones, I mean, if it's if it's important, it pops up on my phone. If it's not important, I miss it. What it, it is, what it is. So, but yeah, I don't answer a lot of stuff anymore either, just because I'm older and I'm not going to get into arguments. I don't feel like getting. I'm going to leave that to other people that. Apparently that they like to fill their time with fussing at people and arguing. Uh, I just don't have the patience for it or, or the drive to 
tell you, you know, what strip substrate to use when you could have just Googled that or looked at the 15 other posts in the last week that told you what substrate to use with your snake. Yeah. When it comes to social media, um, with messaging specifically, I was such a freaking dumb bat because you know how you have like, if they're not your friends, it'll go to like a requested yeah, conversation. It. Yeah. I didn't figure out until literally this weekend <laughs> when I started answering all the messages from people that like how to find those easily. So well, then be Brandon, patient with me if you randomly text me and we're not friends or message me. Brandon Millichamp from the Canadian Herpetoculture Podcast, he said that social media groups tend to make him feel overwhelmed. Uh, so he's decided not to post in them. And I usually don't post in them unless I have like babies or I got a new snake. And it's those kind of things. I'll post that. Um, but he does research or he'll just reach out to well, well-versed individuals to fail, you know, and that's kind of my thing. I, if, if I've got a question about sand boas, there's about four or five people I'll message them. I know that they'll know the end. There's no reason for me to post it in the group. I can just reach out to one of them and then I can have a discussion about that issue instead of getting 15 people answering and get 15 different answers. And we'll talk about one post later on in this episode where that's an issue. Like people just start answering that's another problem with social media. People start answering questions and they don't actually know the answer. They just, they just want to give an answer. They feel they have to give an answer because it's there. Like, or like going back to Chris, what you said with the, what is my carpet Python? If you have all these people that then give their guess on what the carpet Python is. And then the person's going to be like, Oh, I'm going to pick and choose your answer. Cause I like yeah. it the most. And I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pick the most expensive rare one. And that's what this one I got from PetSmart is. What I've noticed with a lot of the questions that people ask in, in on Facebook is they already have the answer determined in their head. So they wait for someone to give them that answer. And then that's the one they accept. Well, the mm-hmm. best, and the you're best not going to change that person's mind. The best is the breeder told me this is this. What do y'all think it is? Whatever the fucking breeder told you. Like, I'm not going to give you a better answer than what the guy that bred him told you it was. He was there when it happened. Don't come searching because the breeder didn't tell you the answer you wanted. So that one one drives me nuts. I see that all the time. I don't understand why you would go to a breeder and buy something and not be confident in what you were getting. That kind of blows my mind, too. Yeah, that's... Ugh. Maybe they forgot. I don't know. We'll give them benefit of the doubt. I just forgot. I don't let's, know. Let's look. Uh, Scott uh, Borden said he burned out once. He actually branched out into fish for a while at the same time as he still had reptiles. So he had two reptile rooms going essentially uh, on completely different floors of the house at the same time uh, as having fish tanks in three rooms. Jesus, Scott, that is that's insane. Uh, fish it, tanks will burn you out just as quick as reptiles do. I've got one fish tank, and that's about as much as I can do. I do one fish tank. Any more than that, and I just it wouldn't be fun for me. Uh, but he said it became uh, far too much work on top of life, and he actually had to downsize his reptile collection all the way down to three snakes for a while. So Scott Borden down went down to three snakes at one point, um, and that happens a lot. That that maybe not in that case. That's but um, it, as I looked through a lot of these, the overwhelming thing was getting too many animals. We've talked about it before. I know I was there at one point. What about y'all? So my burnout doesn't, it's more for, mine is more like seasonal. So I don't feed anything in the winter, or if I do, it's very little. So I'm doing very little work. I'm not cleaning as often. I'm really just changing water bowls at that point. 
And then when hatching season comes, I'm now feeding all my older animals along with, you know, if I hatch out, say, 50 babies or 75 babies, I'm now dealing with trying to get them all to eat. And, you know, that kind of coincides with me becoming more busy at work, which I, I know April knows, but I work in a zoo. So not only am I cleaning and feeding animals all day at work, but now I'm coming home and doing it all day at home. Yeah, when, rough. when I quit, rough. when I quit being a zookeeper, I became a better keeper at home because that was the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I didn't want to come home and do work. Like I was, I was already doing it all day at the zoo, and, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a conscious decision. I would just come home and be worn out and be like, no, nah, it can wait till tomorrow. And it was always wait till tomorrow until five days later. I'm like, oh shit, that's a lot of work now. Yeah, so I usually pick a day and a time, and I, I won't. I'll get everything done. At that time, I, I don't. I try to just get it done and over with, um, so it doesn't really take too much time away from my weekend. Uh, but then to get out of that burnout, I would really look forward to things like Carpet Fest or uh, going to a reptile expo. So, like, I went to Daytona one year. I go to Tidley every year. So, doing those things where I get to hang out with everybody makes me kind of forget about like the work that comes along with the hobby and, and doing the fun stuff. And that usually gets me back going, you know, cause you start talking to people about what they have going on and that makes you, that gets you excited for what you have going on at home too. Mm -hmm. So usually like carpet fast is like great because that gets me back into, into wanting to do it for the year. And then I'll wait for the next carpet fast. I mean, this year kind of sucked because everything I had scheduled was canceled. So, you know, I won't be getting to do any of those things this year. Yep. Wah, wah. <laughs> well, I think everybody needs that recharge. Everybody needs that little thing that recharges them in the hobby. Whether yeah, it be for going me, to a it's the same show. thing as Chris. It's talking with the other people and hearing them get excited about different things or different anything reptile really. It doesn't even have to be what they have going on in their collection. Just hearing someone being super excited about it reminds me of why I started. And so that kind of brings me back and grounds me. But my th my I have two different things. One is when the disease came through and the oh, virus yeah. came through my collection. Every single day, hearing a congested congested snake from a different tub just was so trying, you know, to come in and you. It wasn't fun anymore because every time I'd come into the snake room, it's like, oh, who else is sick? Who else is still not getting better? And so that's that was really hard to to come to every single day when I got home from work or whatever it was. Um, so that was really hard. And really, it was just when I made the decision to euthanize all the animals that had symptoms and then started fresh and they were getting better. That helped me through that one. And that was just circumstantial. Uh, but then I've also been burnt out just from, you know, having depression in general. And if I would go into like a, a depressed mood, it's not like really bad depression, but where I'm in like a lull and, you know, kind of a blah kind of mood and it's longer than it should be. Um, that's when I know that my, my keeping kind of goes on the back burner because I'm trying just to mentally be okay, you know, and, and 
that is very difficult to get yourself out of. But it also helps when I have friends like James and Joe and, and you, Chris, and, and everyone, you know, checking in on me and talking about, oh, what's going on with you? How are you? And it doesn't have to be snake related, but just, you know, having the, the friendships and the relationships that I do have uh, within the hobby kind of, you know, gets me kickstarted again. And then, as Chris said, going to Carpet Fest is really fun. Going to the different shows is really fun. That uh, kind of amps you back up about things as well. Yeah, I, I've had a, a couple times. I, I did lose a bunch of my boas at one point to whatever it may have been. And that and that really hit. That kind of was all around the same time of where I also just had too much. I got, well, I had a lot. I've talked about before. I had way too many animals because, again, I would take anything and everything. Anybody wanted it. They didn't, couldn't take care of it anymore. I was like, sure, I could take it, which probably led to me losing my boas. Um, and so that was just – and then work. Like I said, I was a zookeeper there for a while. And so I'd come home and I just dead. I'm like, I'm not going to go in and, and check on the room tonight. I'll do it tomorrow. That doesn't happen at all anymore. Now, like when I get home, one of my first trips is to my reptile room but for a couple of things. One, I, it's and people get it. You just walk in and look, and go, look at what I've accomplished, what I have. That feeling is awesome now. And two, I just want to see and check in on everything. And I, and I think the way one way to not get overwhelmed with the amount of work, because a lot of people in here I saw – uh, they used to have that whole, like, I clean on Sundays. I feed on Tuesdays. And that starts to really eat at you because what happens when Sunday comes and it was a bad Sunday? and But you haven't cleaned all week. and You've got to clean because it's there and it's it's built up. And so one thing I started doing was whenever I come into my snake room, I, I do one or two things every time I walk in. You know, clean a tub. Just change out a water dish. Just do, do something small. And if you do all these little small things, every time you wander into your snake room or past a cage or what, you don't have to have a whole snake room. If you're someone listening and you have one animal, um, refill a water dish every time you walk by. You know, obviously, not every time you walk by because that would be ridiculous. But you know what I'm saying. These little things add up, and it, it doesn't tend to become as overwhelming. And I've talked about it before. You've got to find things that make it easier. You know, this. I talked about the command hooks for my – for my snake hook that I have makes it easier to find my snake hook. You have it for your water bottles. Makes it easier to find your water bottles. I bought this rolling cart for moving things around my room and cleaning makes it so much easier for cleaning. You know, I, I went to all these nicer racks than my kind of homemade piece together stuff that made it so much easier and faster for me to clean. And these little things made the hobby easier and more enjoyable for me. And that really helped a lot with my being overwhelmed. I haven't really felt overwhelmed uh, in a long time. Because of that, because I've kind of made a conscious effort to to not get to that point again. But I think every, I think not everybody, but a lot of people get to that. Oh shit! I have too many animals. Point. Um, I know Justin talked about it on THB. He kind of got to that point with like the crest. He had crested geckos at one point. And it was just he kind of lost a little bit of the passion for it, and then had a ton of crested geckos. And I can only imagine having to clean all of those little tubs with little baby crested geckos and the adults and. It, it can get tedious and it can cause you to just kind of want to quit. And I think that's the worst thing is someone quitting. Yeah. Especially a lot of people that I've heard have quit, get back into it <laughs> and then they have to start all over again. So. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of people on here that posted that was, they quit and they left and they've come back to it and they had to start over again. And sometimes it takes that. Sometimes look, sometimes completely walking away in your situation is the best. Um, but I always kind of tell people, don't completely walk away. You know, keep one or two of your favorite animals just so you have them. You know, if you still enjoy the animals, 
there's no reason to get out of them completely. Uh, but just limit your stress load. Just make it so it's not as much of a chore. I think that's yeah. the problem. It can't be. If once it becomes a chore, it's not fun. I know I'm good at like 50 to 55 adults. Like keepers, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's that's my number that I'm good at. Um, and that depends on the species, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that could also change too with what's going on in my life and, you know, different things like that. But for right now, for the lifestyle that I have, that's about the max that well, I can handle. You and I both kind of, although they are drastically different species, they're both kind of the same care, just one bigger than the other. They, they do really well in a rack system. They do really well kind of being left alone. Whereas someone like Chris, who has a bunch of carpets and stuff like that, they take a little bit more space. They, they, it's a different setup. So maybe 50 adults in that case may be too much versus a rack that helps you hold 50 adults. Now, that's the thing I'm thinking of taking. Obviously, 50 adult retics would be insane. People do it. I still think it's insane. Versus, you know, you just got to do whatever's best for you. Yeah, retics, like, destroy their cages. I don't understand how <laughs> breeders work with that, honestly. I have one, and that's enough. I say that, but I actually want to, but that's okay. Um, I was looking through a lot of them, again, where uh, social media for some people, and then the workload. Workload really is what tends to burn out a lot of people. I mean, obviously, in your case, losing all of your animals to a, a virus will definitely burn you out quickly, you know. But workload, just when it begin, when it becomes a job and not a hobby, I, I lose fun. It's not fun for me. Can I bring up something since you brought up retix and bring up the one that was found in Kentucky? Yeah, that was crazy. So there was a, a cow retic, which is a pretty expensive retic. What, like two or three thousand bucks, I think? Expensive enough not to be losing. Yeah. And, and someone posted a picture of it up in like someone's gutter, you know, like where the gutter meets the, the roof of your, your house. Yeah, the downstairs. And like so, someone missing something. And it, it was a, a beautiful cow retic. Well, from what I saw, I didn't see the head or anything, but just the body of it. And it's like, how do you lose one of those? And I'm assuming that they lost it and it escaped and that someone just didn't let it go because that just seems ridiculous. Like, how does that even happen? That's, I don't know. That just blew my mind. So I kind of wanted to bring that up and like, if that continues to happen, what does that mean for the rest of us? Right. If we're screwed, if that continues to happen. Cause I mean, like the tegus are being found in Florida. That's got gotten them banned. It's the it, well, and like they're finding tegus in like Georgia, and that's freaking people out. Um, I don't know. It's the problem is these are really outliers. When you think about how many of us are in the hobby, that one loose retic is really a small, itty bitty fraction of the hobby. But the news will take something like that and make it seem like it's seventy percent of the hobby, and that's where it gets really scary. I don't know. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know the answer. I don't know the fix for it. I mean, you would think someone buying a cow retic is going to be pretty secure and making sure it doesn't get out. Yeah. And like, what if that was a hoax picture too? Like, what if someone... That it hurts us way more than... I mean, it's not funny in the slightest. Yeah. And it hurts that person. If that's that person and their pet, they're not thinking. 
and that stupid moment hurts them more than anything else. Because then in that city, because it's in Louisville, right? So, so then in that city, someone goes, all right, well, I guess in this city, we need to go ahead and pass a law. No retakes in Louisville. How big was it? It's probably six, seven foot. Yeah. Probably like a two-year-old. I mean, how does that even get out of your house? Right? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I get if you if you don't close the enclosure all the way, like, yes, they will get out, but... But did it open the door? Like, that's... (laughs) I know. Did it grab the handles, open the door, and go? I mean, I've never had, like, a baby carpet get out, but that, I mean, that's... That's something I worry about because they are, you know, they're so tiny. They could fit anywhere and you would never know where they were. But you got to think an animal like that being in your house, you'd trip over it at some point. (laughs) No kidding, right? (laughs) Seriously, though. So what do you guys think about um, the microchipping? Because I'm I'm very seriously considering getting my bigger snakes microchipped just in case something happens. I think it's good, but here's the problem. It's, it's a lot like guns, okay? So you want gun owners to register their guns. That's great. But they're not the ones shooting people. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you someone like you will get your retic microchipped, but you're not the one letting it go and losing it. I get that it could happen. It could be an accident. But in all honesty, how the fuck are you going to lose an adult retic? Really? I mean, I'm friends with you. I know you're not that special. That you're not going to just have an adult retic roam out of your house yeah i don't even think she could uh, potentially she could push the screen out potentially and get out that way but, but i think the likelihood of that happening is very slim because she would have to get out and be unattended also. so i mean I'm, I'm not saying don't microchip it, it definitely comes in handy especially if anybody would ever steal your stuff uh yeah, that's true th- that that comes in handy and yeah on the free casting gets out but again the problem with microchipping is it's it's not the people that are releasing their animals that are going to get them microchipped, you know. And I've tried to figure out what I'm going to do with my tortoises, and mine is is purely because if my tortoises were to get out, I don't think they can get out of the yard. But I mean, they definitely could if they tried really, really, really hard. Um, <laughs> Everyone I, says I don't think they can get out until they do. <laughs> so I, I've got to figure out. I've heard some people say don't microchip. Sometimes I do microchip. Um, I'm also worried about someone stealing them because I mean, if you mm. drive by my house, you can see eighty pound tortoise in the backyard. Now, someone steals it, doesn't realize how much of a pain in the ass that 80-pound tortoise is. But So I have thought about that because they are outside. They're not in my, in my house. I thought about just if they, if they get stolen and then it's one of those, they pop up on Craigslist or on Facebook. And I'm like, all right, let's go, Mike, let's go scan this thing and see if it's mine. Um, I don't know. What about you, Chris? Have you thought about microchipping anything? No. No, I've, I've never even considered it. Um, I mean, it's a good idea if you have, you know, high dollar stuff that maybe is a, a risk to getting stolen. But I've never thought about doing it. I just can't imagine any of my adult snakes making it out of the house. I don't even know how they could. I think that's one thing. If you're going to keep animals, snakes in general, you, you need to have a pretty secure area. Not only the cage, but, you know. You need to know they're not going to just walk out. Say walk out. When, and crawl when you out. all set up your snake room, because all of us have a room for our snakes at this point, before you put animals in there, did you do like a room check and like an escape proof it? Escape proof it? Escape proof. <laughs> no, I, um, 
there's so many ways that that I, mean, I don't even I don't have a door on my snake room. I wish I did, but I don't even have a door. And then um, it's a really old house, mm-hmm. so you know the hardwood floor, like the from the settling, the hardwood floor is away from the molding on the wall. You know, so a, a small snake, like a Stinson pipe, like a disappear under there. Yeah, for um, sure. And then I have the you know the old fashioned like steam radiator. You know, and that where the pipe runs up through the floor, there's a hole in it so they could run the pipe. And a snake could easily go down that if it got out. I, you know, I'm just careful about not letting stuff out. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm in the same place right now without a door. That's going to get remedied at some point. But the new house we bought, this used to be a two car carport. They built in the house. They made the room really nice. It's part of the house. It's like a second living room. But for some reason, they never thought to put a door on it. And so it doesn't have a door right now, but in some way it will have a door. And once that's on there, there's really no way out of this room. It's, it's pretty secure, but I could definitely see like in an older house. I've lived in an older house. It's, I mean, it's hard in those. Yeah. I had the same issue at my old apartment um, because it was, it's an old building, uh, but it had the, the hole for the piping for the radiator too. And I just put like tape over it. <laughs> I, was, mm-hmm. I was very ghetto about it, <laughs> but that's what I did because it, I mean, it's like a what, one and a half inch, two inch pipe. So anything could almost fit down there. <laughs> so that, that was our question about being overwhelmed. I know that we've talked about it before um, and it happens pretty much everybody at some point i've never and you brought it up earlier and i think it's kind of important i i've never dealt with depression i don't it's never been an issue for me but i know that in this hobby there are several people that have and i know that could definitely cause you to to really get overwhelmed with your collection Um, you're just like unmotivated to do anything and that includes taking care of other animals and that's why i think it's important to reach out into the hobby and have friends have people that will help drive you i'll tell you finding podcasts really helped me because when I started listening to people, I was like, oh, shit, I need to go do stuff. They're doing stuff. I need to do stuff. <laughs> um, That's true. And so podcasts really helped me kind of get a little more driven in the hobby. And then, yeah, going to Carpet Fest helps. Going to Tinley helps. Doing my reptile shows, uh, you know, once a month or whatever. Those help. Those really make me realize why I'm doing this. But a lot of that has come from just not being stuck in my own little – when we've talked about before, being stuck in my own little world. Yeah. I, now that I, I've got – friends like you and Joe and Ryan and everybody through all my reptile shows. Uh, I'm not stuck in my own little world. I've got people to talk to and I don't get kind of shut in. I feel like, Oh, this is just so much. Why am I doing this? You know, I, I, I see why I'm doing it and it keeps driving me more and more. It's not just you against the snakes anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking fucking snakes. I got backup now, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can see that's an issue. So that was that question I wanted to, like I said, I, I know it hits from the person that's been keeping snakes for 30 years and the person that's been keeping animals for a year. At some point, being overwhelmed with something in this hobby happens. Uh, I did like uh, Travis Wyman's. His was the use of codominant. Uh, he gets overwhelmed <laughs> with having to correct people that it's not codominant. So I, I have been pretty good. I've, I've tried to drop codominant from my vocab when I'm using, talking about snakes. So Depends trying. on who my audience is. I, I'm trying, Travis. Don't don't have an aneurysm. Don't don't shut down and feel overwhelmed. <laughs> also, I realize I need to live closer to Travis because he keeps posting shit that he bakes. Because Travis Wyman bakes, and I want some of it. 
Like he made like personal key lime pies for his coworkers. I don't have anybody. I, mean, I need personal key lime pies. Key lime pies are pretty good. I looked at those. They're like little tiny jars. He posted pictures online. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Damn you, Travis. So this week, not only did he post that, and I was like, okay, well, that sucks. Then he went out and he bought uh, Calabar's burrowing pythons, which he and I have talked about are awesome snakes. I'm like, I don't really want to get them because the only place you can really get them is an importer. And I was like, I don't really want to get imported snakes because I just it doesn't work with how I do stuff. But now I'm like, fuck you, Travis. I have to go out and buy imported snakes because you have them and I want them now. So that's another problem with this podcast is you make too many friends and they get cool shit and you want cool shit. So... Thanks a lot, Travis. Now I'm going to have to deal with mites and deworming snakes. (laughs) So our second question kind of goes with this. How do you, uh, why do you keep the species you keep? And that question was kind of aimed at not like, who was it? Where was the, may have been Travis. Uh, I got to find it. Man, we had a lot of, okay, there were a lot of replies to this. Give me a second. I know this is riveting. Was a lot of replies to this that. Is, oh, it was Scott, Scott and Borden. So Scott Borden's answer was a good one, but it kind of wasn't aimed at what the question. So Scott said the answer that every single person should put is because they are the ones that I enjoy keeping and I am passionate about. Fully agree. I fully agree with Scott. The reason you should be keeping what you keep is because you like it. It's what drives you. But what I wanted to know, and when I and I asked him, what I wanted to know was what is it about that species that causes you to want to keep that, you know, some people keep one species. Some people like, like us have several different species and there's something about each one that makes you go, I just, I need to own this. And so some of the ones, uh, answers we have Riley Jemison said they intrigue them species wise. They suit uh, his current living situation, which is one thing we talked about keeping you from getting overwhelmed. Uh, if you're going to keep an animal, it kind of needs to suit your life. And you talked about it with the, the bloods and all that. They kind of suit your life. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley also said he finds them to be the right amount of maintenance for, for himself, which fits into that. And that he doesn't have time to interact daily with them does not slightly, uh, does not slight their quality of life. You know, if you're a busy person, you're not going to want something. Don't go out and buy something that takes a lot of time. Monitors are not going to be your thing. That's you know? the first thing I thought of. I was like, monitors. Because yeah, we've talked about it before. <laughs> I'd love to have a big monitor, but I know I'm, I work a lot. I'm lazy. I like to have my own time. I don't have time for a monitor. I have time for Samboas who just sit on their ass all day and they're happy doing that. It works great. Uh, so that was Riley's case. And, and most people know Riley. If you've, you know what he's keeping. Uh, Darren Watson says, I keep T negative blood pythons because I believe them to be one of the most beautiful snakes in the hobby. If only I knew somebody else that liked them. I'm like, you right. You write about that. <laughs> uh, he believes it to be the perfect size. A tame adult can be safely handled by an individual. Unlike, if a retic or a berm, those out there that own retics and berms, I'm not bad about owning them. Just know that if you're handling a 10 plus foot snake by yourself, you're stupid. You, there's no other way around that. And, and you can try to be as manly or whatever. You're stupid. Womanly. Woman, I was going to say womanly, but that just doesn't seem <laughs> right. But I mean, I think we can kind of agree. If, you're, if it's a 10 plus foot snake, there needs to be someone else around there. Unfortunately, I live alone, so, so I actually l- I am stupid. I let people know that I am handling them and taking them out and kind of like do like a check-in. Like yeah. if you don't hear from me, 
please send help. <laughs> well, Chris can relate to like being at a zoo. You have to, if you go work with Venomous, let them know you're working with Venomous. Uh, that was always yeah, right. I, I mean, I don't work with the reptiles there, but I'm assuming that's how they, yeah. they do it. So I'm, I'm assuming that's how the protocol they follow. Uh, even how, with the big snakes, I assume they, uh, you know, two people. That was how mine was. I was, if you were ever working with Venomous, you had to call and let them know you were working. And then you had to have somebody else there with you. And then also big snakes, you wanted to have somebody else there with you. Um, so that's, those are just important things. Again, that has to go with your lifestyle. You need to know your lifestyle before you just go out buying whatever. Uh, Sean McCarthy says he hasn't met a snake he didn't like, even the ones that are assholes. I've met some snakes I don't like, mainly the ones that are assholes. Uh, well, like super assholes. Like the ones that throw piss at you are pretty yeah. awful. Yeah, I'm not for that. That doesn't that doesn't do anything for me. You can keep. <laughs> no, that's not your thing. <laughs> I, I found that not to be my thing. Uh, <laughs> Tucker Miller says I keep the species I keep because I enjoy short tails, but also rescue a Dumeril's boa and leopard geckos. And now that he has them healthy, uh, he doesn't want to allow them. He doesn't want to have them leave uh, and be neglected by somebody else. So now they, they he's not getting rid of them. They're his pets. Um, yeah. But that's another one of your short tail weirdos i know there was a lot of short tail people actually well a lot more than i had thought i like short tails because they are shorter they're chubby and they're sassy just like me yep once you get their trust then they are loyal till the end and that's just like me so i'm like that's how i relate to them i love them um, but on a serious note, they poop rarely ever, and so it's pretty easy to clean up after them too. And they're beautiful, and I do like their attitude and how talkative they are uh, with their hissing, which is really them like communicating more than being aggressive and you know awful. So. And then we also had uh, Betty Crocker, aka Travis Wyman, say that he keeps them. <laughs> he keeps the things that interest them. He does the ball pythons because they're fun to tinker with because we know that he's a geneticist. He enjoys the genetics, and I can understand that. That's one thing that drove me to my sand boas. I enjoy the genetics. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the oddballs, which are kind of the things that he and I kind of agree on, like the rubber boas and the calabars burrowing pythons he just got. It's just Or like uh, he has the, the goofy ones you have. The beak snakes. The beak snakes. Mm-hmm. It's those oddballs that just kind of – they're different. And they're, it's fun to keep different stuff. You know, I, I can't. I can't understand the folks that keep the same species, like just one of the exact same thing. Every, every tub you open, it may be a different color, but it's the same species. I, I would get bored. I think that could be potential, uh, a potential for a burnout that I would have. If I don't have like a side little thing that gets me really, you know, happy, like my dwarf geckos, I love them. And I barely, barely see them because they hide so much and when i see their little head poke out it makes me so happy and their head's like the size of an eraser on a pencil like they're tiny so i just love just sitting there and watching them if i didn't have that i'd probably be a little bit more sad <laughs> and chris i know you've got a feel this. i mean you've got quite a collection um so my i just i didn't like snakes at all um it just <laughs> wasn't my thing uh and then as i started being around them at the zoo, that's when I got into them. And uh, I got the ball python, but it didn't really do anything. So the reason I got into carp spits was because I wanted something that would move around and, and be visible. Uh, I also like setting up uh, terrariums. 
so that's what got me into other things. When I, when I was in, big into Dark Frog, uh, I liked uh, the part about setting setting up naturalistic uh, vivariums. Uh, and then with the egg-eating snakes, I wanted something different, you know, and it's pretty cool watching a snake swallow a whole egg and then shake its head and spit the shell out empty. <laughs> yeah, that's that's got to be weird. How many of those do you have now? I have three. I have three different species. Oh, okay. That's cool. Where do you get the, but even then, you you get the eggs from? Uh, you can just buy quail eggs anywhere. Uh, huh. Supermarket. Do you um, crack Do you crack them ahead of time and let them drink out, like eat out of the egg, or do you let them go and swallow the whole thing? No, they swallow the egg whole. Gotcha. And then you'll see the egg sit in their, their throat and just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then they start, like, they'll, they'll shake uncontrollably. It's funny. And then they'll <laughs> open their mouth and the shell just flies out. Like, I was just visualizing this. <laughs> I didn't even know they did that until one day I saw it. How did you I, I react? Just, I was just surprised. I didn't know why he was, why the snake was shaking its head. And, and then uh, the shell comes flying. Yeah, I used to think that the shell that they would just kind of you know push the shell out, like same way a snake is using the muscles to swallow something. I just figured that's how the shell came in. Yeah, I always assumed it was almost like a regurge kind of, you know, where they, yeah. they work it back up. That's so funny. <laughs> no, they just no, look really special, like they're headbanging. They're, they're cool. They're not, at least the ones I have, they're not shy at all. You could set them up in a naturalistic setup, and they're out and about moving around. They were all imports, and they ate. The, the day I got them, I put eggs in there, and they ate them right away. Are That's they awesome. one of those snakes that you can keep communally? Or do you keep them individually? I mean, I keep them individually, but I, mean, I guess you don't really have to worry about them eating each other. <laughs> I, I, just, I just wonder how many snakes out there, because we talked about uh, with garter snakes before on a previous episode that we're learning more and more that they do actually, they do really well in communal keeping. And I'm just wondering how many snakes out there that we have kind of kept by themselves that actually would benefit from being around each other. And there are certain ones, you know, I don't think boas and I don't think your short tails that, I mean, that thing, they're kind of individuals, but some of your more active, like colubrids, I think probably do better around others. I think others. you can get away with cohabbing stuff um, more than people think. Yeah, uh, I don't even is it. I think Will Bird he cohabs. I think it's him. He cohabs his breeder carpets together, but in a you know a, a massive tank and has multiple heat lamps on it. And that's how he's done it. He produces carpets all the time. I think Justin Julander, same thing. I think he's cohabbed carpets before without a problem. Every so often you see photos pop up of multiple carpets, females on clutches under the same, you know, like piece of tin in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I had the time and time and money and space, I would love to do, you know, a big floor to ceiling, probably eight foot wide with rock formations and, and do multiple individuals in one cage. That's one of my favorite things going to zoos that have those big, uh, mul either multi-species or just communal cages. You know, and sometimes people will badmouth all the zoo keeps these animals together, but it works. I mean, if it's got the space and all the requirements, you can do it. No problem. Um, and I love that kind of look, just having, you know, up here on a ledge, you have a snake and down here on the bottom, you have a tortoise and 
I'd love to be able to do that in my own house. So, anyways. Uh, oh, one other thing on here about why you keep what you keep. Ashley Hald, Hald, I'm probably mispronouncing that. I apologize. Says intelligence, <laughs> interactivity, morph combos. And they look like dinosaurs, and she's holding a big ass monitor on her shoulder. So she's yeah, one of those. She, she's not lazy like us. She has a monitor that likes her and doesn't kill her. So she's obviously doing it right. Um, that does look awesome. I don't know what I'm. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm horrible with monitors. It looks like it's some sort of melanistic water monitor. Maybe? Black dragon. Yeah. It's black. It's about it's a black and it's a monitor. That's about as far as I go. Uh, Erica Foster, another short. What is it with you? And short, you must just be bringing short tail people to the podcast for some reason. Maybe. I'm not mad. More <laughs> power to y'all. So <laughs> I keep several different species. I keep my. I have my Louisiana pine snake just because I love the whole story behind it. It's a cool snake. I can. It's. I can hold it. It's calm for me. Unless you look at Joe Phelan's, his are evil. Uh. I keep my rainbows just because I think I, I I don't think there's a prettier snake out there than a Brazilian rainbow boa, and I'll disagree with everybody else about your snakes. Your snakes can be pretty to you, but I think Brazilian rainbow boas in the sun are stunning. Um, I keep my sand boas because I think they're cool. I think you know they're not the most popular snake, but I think they're fun. That's another thing I saw on the over overwhelmed thing. Uh. It's either on the overwhelmed or it was on, on this one. I don't know which one it was, but basically keep whatever the hell you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was on this one. Yeah, it was keep what you want to. And if, and if it is something that's super expensive, save your money and, and get ready for it and research and get what you want. Don't just keep what people tell you. You should, you know, I hate the whole, what's a good beginner snake. If someone throws out one option, you know, the ball python. Well, it may be, but it may, you know, Chris, you had one. It, I still it, have him. But if, how old is that thing? Uh, he's in his twenties. Damn. Oh, man. Yeah. But I, ha- I, he was my, my first, uh, so the Euromastics and the ball python, my first two reptiles, I still have them and they're both in their twenties. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. Other than, I know, I know you're, Emotionally attached to it now, but had you known what ball pythons were like in the beginning versus, say, carpet pythons, would you still have gone with a ball python as your first snake? Chris has no heart. He is not emotionally attached to anything. <laughs> I mean, she, she is right. <laughs> I have no soul. I have no heart. Would you, um, would, you, would you have chose that as your first snake knowing that it was basically going to be a lump? So I didn't, I didn't really know much about snakes at all. And um, at the zoo, we had ball pythons that we used for the visitors could come and hold them and take pictures with them. And that was my first exposure to ball pythons. And then I happened to go to my first reptile expo. And, and I don't, I haven't seen it anymore. But at the at the expo, I just I picked the ball python basically out of a crate. They must have all been, you know, fresh imports. Mm-hmm. And and that was, you know, what's that? That was in the nineties, the late nineties. Chris, you're so, old. Uh, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I'm just messing. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and that that's just how I got it. But I didn't know that they weren't, you know, interesting. That they kind of just went in a cave, and you never saw them, you know, and like a 
or underneath one of those logs that you put in there and it just doesn't come out. You know, I yeah. see my ball python, I see him, you know, when he wants to eat. I think I feed him four times a year. And that's it. You know, and then I never see him. Does yours go uh, off feed too? Yeah. He, he won't eat at all during the winter, but I also don't really, I don't offer it. Yeah. You know, um, that's probably why he's in his mid twenties now. Yeah. Honestly, you are probably right. So that, that leads me straight into one of the other topics I'll talk about. And it, you'll, you'll fit in perfect here. It was a Facebook post I saw on the, as the group was constrictors as pets. And I think it's been taken down because it kind of turned into a shit show, I think. But it was basically someone asking if it was okay for them to feed their adult male ball python once a month. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's fine. But I was like, let me go ahead and see what the replies are. And holy shit, people were – it was like every other plow was like, no, that's ridiculous. It needs to eat every seven to ten days, seven to ten days, seven to – I'm like, guys, step back from your care sheets and understand what he's asking. It's an adult male ball python. Seven to ten days is ridiculous. So you talk about feeding your male probably four times a year. They would crucify you on there. <laughs> but yet you're just <laughs> – and he's a good size too. It's not like it's an animal that only weighs, you know, like 600 grams. He's, you know, he's a full grown ball python, maybe a thousand grams, maybe a little bit more. Um, so it's not like he had his, you know, stunted growth or anything. Um, but I feed all my stuff like that. I mean, my breeder male carpets are maybe they're 500, 600 grams and I produce clutches with them every year. And I think that's, so, you know, that's the way it should be. I think we've realized more and more in the hobby. Uh, keepers have realized more and more that's how it should be. But the problem is every newcomer is still reading the same care sheets. And, and, and don't get me wrong, if it's a baby, sure. Every seven to ten days for the first year is fine. That's sure. It's a baby. Put some size on it. But I think there's the, no one is explaining to them that that's not the same for every snake. So, and it's definitely not the same for every snake throughout its entire life. And I just reading that, I was blown away by, and again, it was over and over again, seven to 10 days. I mean, there were multiple people and you could tell they were that, that seven dash 10 is what they read on a care sheet or on some website. And that's the one thing that's stuck in their head. And they you don't know, I've ha seen, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I've seen similar questions where people will say, um, my pet store is out of rodents. I need a, a rat right away. Yeah. To feed my snake. And I mean, I won't feed anything for, from November until, you know, March or April. You're evil. You know, and and you I won't love even your think animals. about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also have animals that are in their, you know, twenties, you know, and I'll, <laughs> you're so. a liar. They can't live that long. Let's eat seven <laughs> yeah, to 10 days. Yeah. People seem shocked when a, a you know, a post will pop up about a ball python that's 47 years old. And I, mean, I don't find that very shocking. I think if you if you don't, you know, stuff them like a sausage from the day they're born, they're going to live a long time. And same thing with people, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, there was that study that came out that is so really interesting is that when a snake eats, its heart and its organs all increase mm -hmm. in size. Yeah. And so when you're feeding it every 7 to 10 days as an adult, that's a lot of strain on a heart have to increase in size all the time and it never gets to rest 
And so, like, I don't think people – that needs to be explained to people more. There needs to be some sort of visual of this is what's physically happening to your snake. And when you make it eat – because it's going to eat. I mean, we know certain species that will eat every time you put food in front of it. Whether it, it needs it or not, they'll eat. Um, but they need to see that there's a lot going on in their body. It's not just – it's not like us. It's not just food going into the stomach and they shit it out. There's a whole process happening in their body every time. And feeding it that much really just puts such a strain on their bodies. Yeah, I think people people think their animal eats because it's hungry. But it's more because it never knows when that next meal might come. So it has to take that meal because it may not have an opportunity to eat for another couple months. You know, yeah. something might not cross the path. Ev- so evolution has be- said eat. That, that is the best yeah. chance is to eat. You may be able to feed a ball python or a carpet python, you know, twice in one week, but it ate because it's, there's a chance, you know, and that animal might think it may not eat for a couple months. That's, I, I just, that's one of those, I, as much as I love care sheets, and don't get me wrong, I, I hand out a care sheet with every animal I sell. Uh, just because it's got the basics, but it's also got my contact information, and I want everybody to at least leave with the basics. But people have got to start realizing that's not that's not law. I mean, those care sheets are suggestions, and and a lot of that comes with just experience. I mean, I know what I know because of almost twenty years of keeping snakes. You know, you know what you know because of over twenty years of keeping snakes. Um, and a lot of people, and we talked about it on these Facebook groups. A lot of people answering haven't kept snakes for 10, 20 years. They've kept them for six months, seven months. And they're the ones answering questions for the newcomers. It's my guess that those are also the same people that, like Chris alluded to, absolutely freak out if their animal stops eating. Yes. And that's actually one reason why I stopped keeping ball pythons is because they would stop eating and I would waste so much money. And at the time living in California with the the rat supplier I had, it would cost me a lot of money and to have them refuse it was painful <laughs> to my wallet. Oh, that's why you never defrost enough to feed your entire collection. Yeah. Yes. And I, 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 I that did with, with babies. Yep. Like the first feeding, first few feedings of babies, uh, I'll, I'll thaw out like 10 at a time. And if they eat all 10, that's great. I'll thaw out another 10. I'm not going to thaw out. If I have 30 babies, I'm not thawing out 30 pinkies. Mm-hmm. Cause then I'm going to end up with a whole pile of pinkies. Well, then you go into like cross contamination and stuff as well. If you put it in one and one doesn't eat and then put it in the other, and y'all know my history, so <laughs> yeah, I'm more leery about you know doing that. But I saw. Uh, like, the, good. I'm not. I'm not too concerned about that. The only I won't do it. I have a couple of wild caught IJs. Yeah. So with those animals, I won't do that. Um, just because you know I don't really know what they have. Um. But for stuff that's been in my collection, you know, 10 plus years, I've, I feel pretty confident that if someone doesn't eat something right away, I'll just pull it and give it to somebody else. That's where I'm at too. I, I do that with, I, you know, and as someone who lost a big chunk of their collection, I, I honestly feel I lost a big chunk of my collection because of bringing in all these random animals and doing no sort of quarantine. Probably. But, but now I do a proper like three month quarantine and I watch and I look at, I mean, and I'm more far, far more careful with what comes in. But yeah, I agree. I mean, if I if I got a bow that I've had for seven years and another bow that I've had for ten, and if one doesn't eat, 
I'll move it to the other tub. But I, I'm not going to crucify April for not doing it either. I'm, you know, that's another thing in the hobby is certain things we need to just back off on. If someone does it different, they do it different. Now, the seven to ten days is an adult ball python. I'm going to crucify you. That's ridiculous. Um, but As you should, James. As you should. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody, Chris has a 20-year-old ball python that eats four times a year, damn it. Even I had read something somewhere. You got to find it just to double check, but I'm almost positive with, say, Stimson's pythons. They did some type of study on wild Stimson's pythons and found that an adult male only eats four meals a year. Well, and a lot of these smaller snakes, and, and or like my uh, Louisiana pine snakes, they're nest raiders. So they go in, they eat an entire nest of whatever, and then they just stay there for a while. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they won't eat again for several months. And so their body went through digesting food one time in a three-month span, which is what it's supposed to do. You know, I, like you said earlier, people say, well, my snake's moving around. It's hungry. Well, that's not what that means. Like just because your snake moved from one side of the cage to the other and flicked its tongue doesn't mean it's hungry. Yeah, if I fed my carpets every time I saw them move around, I'd have some pretty fat animals. <laughs> you know, certain times of the year, they're constantly cruising. It's just, Which again, is really cool, the fact that you have them in cages and you can see that. Yes. Because I'm sure almost every other carpet python is going to do that, but you don't mm-hmm. get to see it. So I'll often hear people say that adult carpet pythons won't perch. Yep. But then the people who are, are saying it keep their carpet pythons in a tub. <laughs> so how do you know what they would do? Yeah, how can you, know? you even say that? So I give all my animals, all my enclosures have perches of some type, whether they use it or not, you know. And some of them, they won't, they won't use it as often. But then I have some that you can't get them off that perch at all, yeah. ever. Like they're always on that perch. Even some of my uh, some of my AP cages, they are the ones with the shelves in them, mm-hmm. and the carpets that have that, they are always on those shelves. Oh yeah, I've heard. I, mean, I said I've seen mine. It loves to sit up on top of the sweater box as much as like it could go down in the sweater box and hide in the nice little humidity hide. It's like no, nah, I'd rather sit right up here on top of it. Mm-hmm. Or like my my, uh, my berm my... has a shelf in twenty five percent of her cage, and I actually saw her mostly try to get her whole body on it and it was like bowing <laughs> like oh girl <laughs> a little bit too big for that i was just waiting for it to break on her <laughs> your, your the, cool like, thing is, the cool thing about those shelves is it also gives it's not just a pl- another like more floor space but it also changes the temperature too mm-hmm. you know because where where i have the heat panel you know, it's over part of the shelf, but then it's also over part of the place that doesn't have the shelf. And then they could go under the shelf where it may be a little bit cooler, but still, you know, you know, it'll be much cooler than not being under the shelf, but away from the heat. Yes, yeah, so you could have three gradients rather yeah, than just the few, two, right? You know, same thing with the perching. There's multiple temperature gradients in there. Yeah, I found with, like, my little uh, bread lie. It loves to sit up on the perch, and and I can kind of tell when it is ready to eat because it will go up to the perch and then stick its head straight down. 
mm-hmm. and it's sitting there waiting for something to come by. And it's, it's a cool thing to see that you wouldn't see again in a tub. That's why I'm, my hatchling. I'm, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's uh, why I decided that with my brettles, it will always be in some sort of display cage so I can watch that mm-hmm. kind of that what it does. Yeah, my hatchling carpets all do that. They sit up on top of the water bowl and then look straight down. It's cool looking. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute when they do that. As long as they don't get you. It's so little. Not... But so that was I saw that on Facebook. So let me go. Let's see. Uh, oh, we our posts from our listeners. The things our listeners uh, posted this week. Ryan Cox talked about. I don't know if you listened to the From the Ground Up podcast with uh, Dominique DeFalco on it. I have uh, not yet. I, I had I had time on the airplanes yesterday. Uh, that was a cool one. She hasn't been in a hobby long, and her first snake was a green tree. But she had done a ton of research prior to getting the green tree. She had reached out to people like Ian and Justin and all that. She she had done all the right stuff, and so now I mean, that's that's what people should do. It's definitely not what I did. I mean, I'm staring at my my 18 year old rainbow boa that I bought at a show just because it was pretty. Uh, and it was my very first snake that that's not what you should do. You should definitely do what Dominique did and research the shit out of stuff and figure out what you want. Um, her, but her story was funny. She, uh, she went to Tinley for her 21st birthday. Uh, that was her present for her 21st. Most people were like 21st birthday. I'm going to get drunk. She went to Tinley. Um, and then they went to lunch. Her mom was like, you're not getting a snake. And they got to lunch. Her mom was like, all right, we well, can get a snake. And, and Dominique said, she wanted to go, oh, how about a corn snake? They looked at all the corn snake setups on like online on pictures. The mom's like, "That's not really pretty." It wasn't set up really pretty. She's like, "What about a ball python?" And she showed her that. She goes, "That's not really pretty." And then she showed her a green tree, and her mom's like, "Yeah, let's do that." And so <laughs> she bought her a green tree python for her first snake. Again, although she had done all the research, it wasn't just someone who said, "Look at this pretty green snake. I should get this first. But oh, that was, it was cool listening to her just because she's. Uh, it's not someone who's been in the hobby twenty years. Someone's only been in the hobby just a few years, and just the passion that she has. And she's also like volunteering and doing a lot of stuff uh, in the zoo field up there in Cincinnati. So she was kind of cool. We'll have to get her on here at some point. She was kind of interesting to listen to. Um, yeah. And then Stephen Livingston posted the Detroit Zoo released 170 critically endangered dusky gopher frogs uh, into, from what I can figure, like around Mississippi. They didn't really give a location, but I'm guessing like Mississippi, Alabama, you know, where they're from. Uh, but that was kind of a cool thing. Just another another thing where zoos are doing what zoos do and they don't get enough credit for, you know, breeding and releasing stuff. Audubon zoo just released something also. Yeah. I, I was, I was about to talk about that. I got that one up here too. Uh, pine snakes got released mm-hmm. 41 Louisiana pine snakes. And that's through, uh, Audubon and Memphis, I believe is still breeding. Um, they're all into the pine snake, but they released 41 pine snakes into the wild, uh, which was really awesome. So, I didn't know Memphis was doing anything. Oh, yeah. Memphis is big in the pine snake breeding. Hmm. I'll have to ask my buddy. Memphis and Audubon. Audubon, though, is just full of themselves. That's just me being a a Louisiana zoo. Like, Audubon's really, really uh, proud of their name. I'm just going to leave it there. But (laughs) this is really – just try and buy a ticket to go to Audubon Zoo and see how many loans you have to take out to get it. <laughs> so, but the forty-one Louisiana pine snakes we talked about earlier this year—the the indigo snakes being released in Alabama, uh, the forty-one yep. pine snakes being released here. I think there was also an article up this week of indigos being released into Florida, 
as well. I saw that somewhere floating around. Uh, so it's really, really awesome seeing all these programs that, again, I don't think zoos get enough credit for, uh, but trying to help bring back species. And, uh, oh, I did post one thing on the page this week that was, like, not reptile-related at all, but I thought it was really interesting. Did you see the one about the fish eggs? Yes. <laughs> so I saw that because I'm on a bunch of fishing pages. But it was – so carp are a huge issue in, in North America. The Asian carp have spread all over the place. And they did a study, found out that Asia, that the carp eggs can actually survive through the gut track of a duck. So a duck eats the eggs in one body of water, flies to the next body of water, shits the eggs out, they hatch, and the fish goes on to survive. And so as much as we're trying to, like, shut off waterways from this spot to this spot, it's the fucking ducks that are doing it. <laughs> the ducks are spreading carp from one body of water to the other by pooping out carp eggs that can make it through the digestive tract and still survive. So, just from a science level, I was like, that's really interesting. Have y'all seen what a duck penis looks like? Wow, that's where you went with this one? <laughs> really? <laughs> We're having a great conversation about ecology. Duck penises! <laughs> yes, we all get it. They're curly cues. If you've never seen They're it, crazy! It looks like a wine bottle opener. Uh, Weird penises. If y'all haven't seen one, go, go Google it. Go Google duck penises. Yes. Well, now I know what pictures April wants me to take at the zoo <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm at work. I mean, I, hey, while you're at the zoo, can you just get me penis cool. shots of all the animals? Just yeah. which ones? All of them. Just all the penis. I feel like it's, it's like Carly with the cloaca shots. Now it's going to be April and animal penis. Yes, every, everybody's in April. People your animal penis I think I'm like into bestiality or, or however you say that or something like oh, that. Oh, you don't, don't pretend you don't know how to say it. Oh, I just fumbled over it, so. Liar. <laughs> again, I fumble over everything. Y'all know. Again, send April your animal. Oh, by the way, oh, when I say word. animal penises, I don't mean human animals. Please don't send her. Please, no. She I don't really want, want the other animal. either. Oh, she's getting <laughs> The weirder the animal, the better. So, Talking right now. alligator is pretty weird, too. Right now, uh, duck penises are at the top of her list. But if you can find something weirder, send it to her. Yeah, me. if you can find something weirder. Weirder than a duck penis. I mean, elephant penises are... Have you ever seen an elephant penis? Nope. It's impressive. (laughs) One, one, it pretty much drags the damn ground. I love how I derailed this so (laughs) Two, the most impressive part about an elephant's penis is not that it's enormous and it drags the ground and looks like a fifth leg. It's the fact that they can put so much blood into it so rapidly to get it up and have sex and and not pass out. Because that is pretty impressive. It, I've watched them go from just hanging there between the legs to jumping on top of a female and fucking her right away. And I'm like, the amount of blood it took to get that up, you would think would cause them to pass out. <laughs> Brain blood from their heads. I've had my arm in an elephant's ass, if that counts. Whoa. Hey, did you take it out first? I mean, did you get a bite of dinner? It's... That, that, that got interesting. got interesting quick. <laughs> oh, oh my god stop sorry doing? if you hear weird stuff in the background it's just animals and their penis it is it's it's animals is it your cats of course your ball sacks yep didn't feed the ball sacks so they're bothering me see you like ball sack cats and animal penises so hey uh. jokes for days <laughs> <laughs> so move it on to youtube stuff so that we'll leave yeah. a, uh on youtube 
Uh, the things I saw. Tortoise houses. Yeah, I watched the the primitive predator. I had this on my list for last week, but we kind of ran over. But uh, primitive predators. We talked about their awesome tortoise greenhouse they had built uh, a few episodes ago. And they did an update on it, and the problem they're having is the grass is growing really, really well, and the tortoises aren't keeping up with it. Uh, the new video, if you look at it, like the grass is all like three foot tall in the enclosures, and the tortoises have eaten like these little paths around the edges and these little. But it's just all this grass. I'm thinking, I don't have that issue with my tortoises. I would love to have that issue where I'm like, oh, damn, there's just too much grass in there for them. Uh, but basically what they were saying was that because the greenhouse, the way it works, the grass never really has to deal with like, huge amounts of direct sunlight. So it's always in growing mode. It's never shutting down during the sunlight, the, the, the harsh parts of the day. And so it's growing really fast. Do you remember me when you when you first posted the uh, or where we first talked about the video? Um, how I was like, I wonder if the the tortoises are just going to eat all the grass and then it's kind of pointless and they're going to move no. them around. <laughs> yeah, apparently answer, not. <laughs> answer is no. Like I said, if, if you find the video, it is it's on pro, uh, Primitive Predators YouTube and it's how's the tortoise greenhouse doing? And really well is the answer, by the way, because it's an insane amount of grass. And I, and I go out and look at my tortoises and I'm thinking, God, I wish I had the problem of three foot grass because these guys would love it. Um, because last week, I think I lost 20 pounds and just water weight from sweating my ass off building my new tortoise yard. It is. But it's functional and wonderful. It is amazing. It is now 50 foot by 40 foot, roughly. And we wanted to move our original tortoise barn from our old house to the new house. The original tortoise barn was awesome. It was made out of wood. It did great. Great in the winters. They lived in there. It was wonderful. It did not move well. When we went to go move it, things started to shimmy and fall apart, and it was a nightmare. Shimmy and shake? It shimmied and shaked and fell apart. <laughs> so within about 12 hours, I was like, oh, shit, because I, I was moving my tortoises at that point. Once we moved the barn, uh, their old cage was open, and they couldn't stay there, so we had to move them to the new yard. And so I had to string up a tarp for them to go hide under at night uh, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I, the solution came to me, cinder blocks. Uh, and we talked about last time we used 72 cinder blocks and construction. I know I said glued together last time, but it's construction adhesive. We used construction adhesive uh, to put them together. We filled them with sand to get rid of, so to try to help uh, hold and heal a little better. Uh, my dad built an awesome roof out of like corrugated plastic roofing. And then I've got to go back and kind of, Fill in some gaps so that this winter they can live in there without freezing. They'll be great. Um, and they're doing awesome. It's, it's, Did you post pictures in the group yet? I have not yet. I've got to get I, – I just got back home from my parents. Like, we got that built. I drove back to Virginia with my dad, and then I flew back from Virginia yesterday. And I have not slowed down yet to get pictures. But I'm going to do a little okay. bit of work on it. i got to get a door built for the front of it. Um, I've got to figure that out. But I'm telling you. Hurricanes come. I'm going to hang out with tortoises. That thing is going nowhere. <laughs> That's funny. But anybody that wants to buy a little cute twenty dollars baby sulcata needs to come watch when I built this damn thing and was sweating my ass off moving seventy two cinder blocks by hand. Uh, that's what it takes to own these things. You know, people always see like they'll come by and they'll see the babies like, oh, these are awesome. Yeah, it's awesome right now. You don't have to clean up. My dad. The one thing that amazed him was their shit. I don't know if you've ever seen a tortoise's shit. But it's massive. I mean, my 80-pound male will outrival any human. It's it's a huge turd, and it's a lot of them. 
So they <laughs> they lose their cute factor when they start shitting all over your yard. But, and smearing it everywhere, or you step in it barefoot and it's fresh. <laughs> it's the good thing is they don't it doesn't smell horrible because it's mostly grass. I mean their digestive yeah. tract pretty much sucks. I mean they're they're shitting out grass, uh, but it's a lot of it. I mean all they do is eat and shit. That is their day. That is what a tortoise does. Eat I, shit? You mean I, eat grass? Eat and shit. Not eat oh, shit. Okay. Eat and shit. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I watched I watched my big male finally come out of the barn one day at four, and then he was back in the barn at seven. Like he spent three hours out of the barn, all three hours were eating and shitting, and then he went back in to go to sleep. So but that was that was my relationship to this tortoise greenhouse. I did not build a greenhouse, but I did build a huge tortoise yard that I'm super excited about. And then the greenhouse might be a little bit more uh, involved. Yes, and and costs more. <laughs> it just costs more. Let's go. With it. It's expensive, but it's awesome. Okay, okay. <laughs> also on Primitive Predators, they put out a video this week of their new venomous snake room, which I thought was really interesting because when they showed it, built onto the front of it is a giant screened-in what looks like it's going to be an enclosure. You'd think, oh, this is a giant screened-in enclosure for some big monitor lizard or some something. But in reality, it's it's their secondary uh, – oh, my brain's not wanting to work. It's, it's like their buffer zone? Basically, yeah. It's So you enter in one door and then – Chris, what is that called? Containment. What? Containment. That was the word I was looking for. Secondary containment. It's, yeah, it's like with the birdhouses. Yeah, so, well, there's is interesting. You enter in one screen door. You close that, you enter in a locked, like, household door, which is still outside, and that takes you into the screened-in yard. And then you have to enter in the next locked door into their venomous building. So when they want to bring a venomous snake out, like YouTube, you get a picture or whatever, they're not bringing it out into the yard, like an open yard. They're bringing it out into that fenced-in, you know, area that still has two doors between it and the actual outside. Oh, April, are you thinking of, like, any room? That, that's what we call it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I was super impressed with the thought in this because most people would just build a fucking building with a door on it and go, hey. Or maybe, you know, put two doors on it because you have to have two doors. That, well, technically, you only I think, you need the outside door and the cage could be locked. And I think that technically counts as. Do they have any special regulations because they're are they're in Florida, aren't they? They're in Florida. So they have is the same anything... regulations, same thing as like Pia and Cody. Okay. okay. Um, you know, the, they have the, the outside door that counts as one and then. The lock on the cage is the secondary secondary lock, so they have to have two locks between the snake and the outside world. Got um, it. And so, like I said, they they basically built a, a pen where they can come out, they can do whatever with the animals, get footage, videos, pictures, and everything, and still be contained. But it's a massive uh, fenced in, you know, caged in area for them to do all this and still remain safe. And I was like, the thought it took to do that, I thought was really great. I mean, you see the tortoise greenhouse they built. They obviously are thinking on a completely different level than most keepers, you know, and to see that I thought was really cool. Um, are they going to open it up for like public? I don't know. Have they ever talked about that? I don't know. Like, it'll be really be cool. cool to go to. It's a, it's a <laughs> really awesome place to see it all. I, I'd love to go see it all. But uh, so I saw that. I thought I had to bring that up just because uh, seeing someone do venomous stuff on YouTube properly is awesome. Because trust me, there's plenty of people doing venomous stuff on YouTube, not properly. Chris, would you ever keep a venomous snake? No. Not like my beak snake, but like super venomous. No, I have no interest in 
in that stuff. Um, it's also not legal here. Oh, I guess that's a thing. If you, <laughs> we just had a, if you watch the zoo show, they actually just did a big confiscation. Well, they just showed it, but it happened a couple months ago. That big confiscation, that person had all those venomous snakes in their house, um, cause they all go to Hamburg and buy them and then bring them back to New York. Mm-hmm. And it was well over a hundred venomous snakes. I mean, stuff even zoos don't have. They had. And yeah, I wouldn't want that. Any. <laughs> now your zoo has it. <laughs> yeah. We ended up getting quite uh, zoos around the country have the whole collection. Oh, interesting. But, um, yeah, I, I have no interest in that stuff. I I will have venomous at some point. I don't want a lot, and I don't want anything. Uh, like I don't want any elapids. Elapids scare the crap out of me. They're uh, too fast. They're fast. They're smart. I, I I don't I don't do that. You I want dumb venomous? I, I want I want dumb fat vipers. I want gaboon <laughs> vipers and like eastern diamondbacks and you know really really pretty like copperheads. Um, but. I, I like them. There is a guy that does our shows down here. He's actually from, I think, I don't want to get it wrong. He's from Minnesota. Um, but his Venomous Cages, is maybe his company's name, but it, it comes with a built-in like shift cage built into the cage. And there's several different, it's got a ton of different safety features. Um, and now that my wife has seen it, she's like, well, okay, maybe you could do Venomous if you do it this way. And it's actually a really cool cage. He comes down and he does all the Herp shows. It's a really cool cage system with all these different ways to stay completely safe and never have to be hands-on with the venomous snakes, which is what I think, honestly, I think should be. If you're going to own venomous snakes, I don't, no one needs you to try to prove how big your dick is. You don't have to go out and free handle cobras to prove you're the coolest person on YouTube, which I'm not going to say any names, but people know the guy on YouTube. You know who you are. You, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Quit free handling shit on YouTube, Jack, jackass. But, uh, there are some venomous stuff. I just, I, I love Kaboom Vipers. To me, it's one of the coolest snakes on earth. Just the color, the camouflage, the giant ass fangs, that big triangle shaped head. And I worked, I, I worked with one at the zoo, so I got like literally firsthand experience with them. And I'd love to have one of those. But the people that go out and buy like King Cobras, that scares the crap out of me. Yeah, those are huge too. I've seen them at shows for sale. I mean, for a thousand bucks, you can have a King Cobra. I'm like, that's horrifying. That's that's sixteen foot of I will kill you. Do you know for two thousand bucks you could get a tiger? That's ridiculous too, isn't it? <laughs> that's so what that reminded me of. When you put like a dollar amount to things, sometimes it's just crazy. Oh, a gaboon viper you can get for sixty dollars. That's crazy. They're so beautiful. God, they are pretty. So, anyways, that was that's all that. On YouTube. And then I saw one that I wanted to, I think I added it yesterday because it was kind of interesting. I've never heard of SNS Serpentarium on YouTube, uh, but he had a video that said, Worst Reptile Store I've Ever Heard Of. And the story he, he had heard was it was kind of a really crappy reptile store in, uh, I think, the UK. And they had like a big old walk in freezer full of dead, frozen animals. And, and the only reason I kind of brought this up was, was he was talking about freezing reptiles. And if you're just freezing reptiles just because you're un- tired and annoyed with them, yeah, it's horrible. But I brought it up because I want to talk about freezing reptiles that are sick or, you know, aren't living their best life. You know, they're they're going downhill. I've done it before, and I don't feel bad for doing that versus taking them to the vet, paying for a checkup to tell me that they're going to have to put it down because I already know they're going to, and then having to pay for the injection. Like, I get it. You can call me cheap all you want, 
put a pillowcase in the freezer and they're gone pretty quick. So I just want what is y'all's opinion on that? Chris, do you happen to know um, what the most humane way is to kill a snake? I know it's not freezing them. I know it's not freezing them. I'm sure it's not. I mean, I do it, so I don't, you know, I wouldn't judge anybody. I put plenty of stuff in the freezer that I knew, you know, missing eyes or kinks or whatnot. Um, but I have to, I have to check. I have, um, I have Mater's veterinary textbook, Mm -hmm. one of the editions, and there's a whole section on euthanasia, uh, with reptiles. Um, but I also have a friend who's a vet and he's told me in the past that I guess putting animal, putting reptiles down isn't always so simple because their body doesn't metabolize the drugs the same yes. way a mammal would. Exactly. So what would be pretty quick and painless in a, in a mammal isn't the same with a reptile. Uh, so that I just put them in the freezer. I, I was under the impression that actually like a shovel to the head is the most humane I'm because sure. it's, yeah, it's I mean, the quickest, but I could not ever do I that to any I of my I couldn't do animals. that to mine. No. And then um, the, like I thought about, cause I, when I had the virus, I had very large blood pythons that I did decide to put in the freezer. And I researched for a good week looking into all the different, like talking to different people, looking into all these different um, articles and trying to figure out what the most humane way was. And when you do injections, uh, like, like Chris, like what you're saying, like they metabolize it, metabolize it so differently that, you know, it might take them forever to actually go down. So is that actually humane, you know, probably not. <laughs> uh, and then with freezing, if they're large body, uh, it takes a while for the core of the body to freeze, and then that can build crystals in its muscle tissues, which is actually very, very painful. But if they're small babies, uh, the freezing uh, happens faster and and more um, evenly through the body, and so it is less inhumane for freezing if they're small, like babies. But uh, but I don't yeah I don't have the right answer for that so. Uh, Travis, if you're listening. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how that fits up. Travis, you're the smartest person we know. You should have the answer for this. <laughs> if anyone has the answer and knows or um, articles on that, like post that up in the Facebook group because that I think is useful information for a lot of keepers to know. Yeah, I mean I, I agree I, with you too, James. Like if you if you know that snake is on its last end, like paying all that the exotic exam fee and then the you know, whatever other fees are going to give you because you know going to just stepping in there is going to cost you at least 75 bucks well i had a i had a hog island when i lost all my boas i had one hog island make it through it but he was never the same again and and Mm -hmm. he's definitely neuro like i would have to grab him by the head and then take the rat put the head of the rat in his mouth and then he'd swallow it he'd strike at food but he would always like not eat it but if i took the rat and put it in his mouth he would swallow it and he just he also never put on muscle mass the same as he did before he ever got sick and finally, I was like, dude, this is a shitty life. It sucks for you. It sucks for me. I'm just going to go ahead and put you in the freezer and, and, and be done. I mean, it, it wasn't great. You know, he's having to be hand-fed. Around. It's just all around. So I put him in the freezer. And it, it sucks. It definitely, I mean, I don't, I don't put him in the freezer going, ah, fuck it, not my problem. I'm tired of this thing. Throw it in the freezer. That's not what I'm doing. 
you know, I definitely go through, like you said, you went through a week trying to figure out what to do. I go through several days of going, should I, should I not, should I, should I not? And then, and then make the decision. Yeah. To me, it's the most, you look at things like, uh, I know it's, it's kind of different, but like brettles, those damn things can survive freezing t- temperatures to breed. So it, their body slows down into that whole process. So I'm just thinking when you freeze an animal, it's got to slow down and then stop. Like it's, it's, I don't know. To me, it seems the most humane for what I'm going to do. I can't chop its head off. I've, it's something I've been taking care of for years. I can't do it. Now I have done that to wild snakes that have been like run over. Um, I have found snakes that were run over. They were still alive, but they were definitely not going anywhere. And I've, you know, cut their head off and ended it right there. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, I, I pulled it up. I pulled the book out real quick to, okay. uh, to look it up. And it lists a few different um, things like cardiac puncture, volatile mm-hmm. um, anesthetic, rapid freezing using liquid nitrogen for smaller okay. animals. That, that makes sense. But larger animals... Um, they don't go unconscious enough fast enough for it to be like humane. Do they get yeah. a size at what they're considering large and small? Um, effective in any animal less than forty grams. Oh wow! Okay. That's and then so, uh, yeah, super it small. talks about the ice crystals, like you had mentioned. Yeah. Uh, decapitation, and then for larger animals like crocodilians, a gun. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, hunt alligators. Twenty-two to the back of the head. Man, that's all. It's all downer stuff. Talking about having to kill. I know. I'm like that know. makes me feel but, so. Bad. But the problem is, if you oh, if you if you keep enough and if you keep enough reptiles or snakes for long enough, these are things that are going to come up. I mean, it's it happens. I mean, okay, going back to you know the worst pet store in the world or whatever. Um, you've seen, I've heard of shows bringing you know unboxing a bunch of animals. And putting them out on the display, and then they down the table and they just throw them in the trash. It's like there's no, no, not a care in the world, which is really shitty. Yeah, I, d- I don't think that happens as much anymore. I think quality I think control has gotten better. Shows, yeah, yeah, I think they regulate that a lot more. But um, I, 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 I can only speak for the ones I do. The herb shows, I definitely quality control there is top notch. Um, I like I said, I did do a shot. I can't remember. I know I told the story at one point, but. I did do a show where the guys, all their animals overheated and died like mm-hmm. the night before the show. And I, I they ended up feeding like $10,000 snakes to alligators, this alligator farm, because they were all just dead tortoises and all sorts of stuff. Cause their car overheated and killed them all. Oh, that's so crappy. Oh, was, the worst part was it wasn't all theirs. Some of them were somebody else's animals also. So they had to pay that for Yeah, it was bad. That weekend was bad. It was all around bad for them, but I don't know. Again, at some point, if you keep animals long enough, you're going to have to face the issue of what do I do when it's when it's time. Not every animal is just going to pass quietly in the night and then be done. So, but that was what I had for the week. I know I kind of what a downer. You're leaving us on such a I'm downer. Not even, no, I was going to ask Chris. <laughs> so, Chris, in, right now in the hobby, what is something that is an issue for you or that bothers you right now? Uh, probably one of my biggest pet peeves is people who have a collection but don't have a vet to take it to, and they go to Facebook for oh. medical advice. Like before, I ever had a collection this size, I already knew who my vet was going to be. 
So, I mean, I, I think it only makes sense to have someone, like, not have to scramble to find someone when an animal gets sick. Because like you said, you know, you eventually an animal's going to get sick when you're keeping numbers like we do. Yeah. You know, um, I my vet is no longer in New York, so I'll actually ship to him. He's in Pennsylvania now. Which is so, so crazy just, to me that you do that. I think it's cool, though. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. I'll just box the animal up and ship it to him. And um, one of his employees actually has family here in New York. So on the weekend, when she comes to visit New York, she'll just drop the animal off for me. So they don't oh, have to that's ship cool. it back. But I've done it with a few animals. Yeah, stuff that needed like abscess drained or, um, you know, an animal that had a tumor that needed surgery. I just, I just ship it. That was my my first experience having to have major surgery was this year, and of course it happened with COVID nineteen, so it was the weirdest thing I had to do. But I went down to Louisiana State University LSU and sat in my car for eight hours while they did surgery on my snake because I couldn't go inside. Yeah, I so just had, as you can imagine, my, multiple my cultures. Is uh, you know, have a vet. Don't wait till the day your animal gets sick to need a veterinarian. Yeah, and, and oh, here's something: you buy an expensive animal. On, and then everyone on Facebook tells you to take Batril because that will solve everything. Or no, the, <laughs> someone will go, take it to the vet. Someone will say, take it to the vet. And their answer is, that's not the kind of help I'm looking for. Well, then fucking go away. <laughs> well, no, that's, like I said earlier, they already have the answer determined in their head that they want to hear. Yeah, they need somebody so, to tell them it's okay. Yeah. What were you going to say, April? I totally forgot. I went off on two uh -oh. different tangents in my Maybe. head and completely <laughs> forgot. <laughs> okay, wasn't that important, I guess. Oh, Batril. Um, no one told me that Batril actually can burn them and be like a, a tissue deteriorator. Mm -hmm. And so my my ivory, the one I spoke of that uh, doesn't bounce back from laying eggs very well, she has three burns on her. Because I wasn't told, and it scabbed, and it was real bad. And then I used Batril on a different snake, and the vet actually told me to dilute it. The first one, I didn't dilute it, and so she's scarred forever because of it, which kind of sucks. So if you see pictures of my T-negative ivory, you can probably find the, the spots on her. The Batril injections? Yeah. Where her yeah. skin well, that was all messed like, up. For a long time, I was like, as long as you own Batril and Ivermectin, you can take care of any problem your snake's going to have. Yeah, you can get rid of worms and help any infections. You'll be great. Yep, no problem. It was always like Batril Ivermectin and the ability to turn the heat up, and you're a vet. That's mm -hmm. You can solve everything. What but, about nebulizing? That was a big thing for a while. Ugh. I find that it does not work. Just just my two cents there. I tried so what, it. So to go back to the different drugs, um, mm -hmm. my, my vet has talked about how uh, – from people constantly self, you know, medicating these animals with not having any clue what, you know, why they're even using the drug, mm -hmm. you know, they're just using it, that a lot of the stuff they're seeing in reptiles is almost like becoming like a super bacteria. Oh, God. All these drugs are no longer effective because people just use them for no reason. Great. And when I sent him, I had a, a carpet python that had a, an abscess in its mouth and it, he drained it and then sent the animal back along with, I'm almost positive it was amicacin. And he had sent, he, cause he sent the, 
whatever they pulled out of the abscess, they sent it out for culture. And he sent the entire list on the paper of every single drug that would be useless on that type of infection and which drugs would work on that type of infection. And, you know, no one, you're not getting anything cultured. And like you said, with Batril that causes burns, all you're doing is hurting the animal and you're not fixing the actual cause. You know, you're not fixing the, the problem. Yeah. Yep. I spend the money to get a culture now. Well, that was with my surgery on my snake. They, they sent it off and they told me, look, this is what will work. This won't, won't, this is what won't work. And the coolest thing they did with that was the, uh, the antibiotic that gave it was actually inside of a little like capsule or whatever. And they sewed it into the wound and it mm-hmm. basically like time released into the body. I was like, that's super cool. I've never seen anything outside of an injection. So like, that's oh, a really awesome. That- I've seen that done with a rock python at the zoo. Really? Yeah. That's a cool thing. Like that was that was one of the cool things from this whole surgery. Like I got some pictures, like X rays of the head, which were really neat. Like the idea of like these little tiny time released antibiotics sewn into its face. I was like, that's so much cooler than giving it an injection. And they work better. Like, whatever it was, apparently, because whatever I had been giving it was on the list of things. Like from my other vet who said, "Here, try this." Um, and, and I trusted her. It was she tried her best. It, it was I forget what it was, but it didn't work. And we, when I went to get out of LSU again, they did the whole biopsy of it, and they said this is what will work. We now know. So, but anywho, yes, Facebook is not always the answer, people. <laughs> Jeez, that that I can see where that could burn. Like, but see, I don't I don't reply to a lot of that stuff anymore. So that's why we talk about getting burnt out and stuff. Social media doesn't really burn me out because I don't put the energy into that. It's just not, it's not for me. You just ignore. Yeah. It's Which at this point, that's what Chris is doing too. Yeah. <laughs> He's exactly. not partaking. What's, what's sad about that though is you, it's not, and I'm not just saying me, but people who have way more experience than I do, they do the same thing. I know. And those are the people that should be answering questions, but they're so over it also that, they don't get involved and you end up having people who own one carpet python or one anything and they've done it for, you know, six months. So they are, you know, they're giving the advice. Yeah. They tell you seven to 10 right. days, feed it seven you know, to 10 days. <laughs> when I need advice, if it's something that, you know, is pretty, pretty big with the carpets, like if it's a, you know, something with an egg issue or, you know, certain babies not feeding or just anything that comes up, like, there are people that I know to go to just because I know they're pretty experienced and they've been in it so long. They probably run into the same problems as I have. Yeah, you could, you could message Nick or Eric and one of them will be it, able to tell you. It's usually Nick or Eric that I, you know, <laughs> I'll talk to. That's one thing is uh, it's sad for people that own one snake and they haven't gotten to the hobby as deep as we have and they don't know all the Like, it's really – as big as a community as it is, it's really a small community. I mean, we kind of all know the same people. There's, It's like the Kevin Bacon seven degrees separation. We can kind of connect ourselves all to somebody through that. But if you're one person who just bought your first ball python and you go to Facebook for help and it's not their fault. Don't get me, I mean, they did the research, but they also went to Facebook to ask individuals. It sucks for them because the experienced individuals aren't the ones in the groups. And so that does suck. For them. And, and, and it may take a while for them to find that out or they may end up leaving the hobby before they ever really get started. 
So are we doing the hobby a disservice because we're taking ourselves out of Facebook? Because I know I have to. I don't probably. really bother anymore. I mean, probably, but at the same time, I can't blame people that don't want to deal with it because I don't deal with it. Like we're trying to keep so, our sanity, damn it. So I'll give you a great example of something that really pushed me away. And this was just the other day. Um, and I hope the person who did this is listening because I want them to know what I think of them. So <laughs> they posted in a, in a group. It might have been a king snake group. They needed a vet. They were looking for a veterinarian. And they couldn't find a veterinarian that was a reptile specialist. So basically at the same time, me and someone else both suggested um, the – uh, I'm trying to think of the ARA, the, the reptile and amphibian veterinarian. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So every veterinarian that's in that group is into the reptile people. Like that's why they become a member of that. And there's an entire website that lists all those veterinarians that are in that. And when that website was recommended to the person, their next response was, there's no one on there that's a reptile specialist. That's Meanwhile, the, the, whole list. the very the very title is basically says they're reptile and amphibian specialists. So that that was just sent me, you know, I was like, oh, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah, it, and so the problem is that one experience will burn you out, and you'll ignore the next five, which you probably could have helped on. But you just, I mean, it takes too much out of you to try and help everybody, and, and it's a shame. I mean, I kind of. You know, I hope the podcast helps people, but I obviously don't reach first timers. They're not out searching for reptile podcasts usually. Um, I would hope they are. I've learned a lot from you know Eric and Owen, you know, or Joe. I've learned a lot from listening to those. But I don't know. As, as much as I think Facebook is a necessary evil, it does kind of bite people in the ass sometimes because it it doesn't it doesn't do everything it should. You know, in I a think perfect. It's wor- better to help connect people. That have the same interest, yeah. Not necessarily get good, solid information. Yeah. Sometimes you can though, but sometimes, obviously, it goes awry, astray, whatever you know. Awry, since, a white bread, whatever. Since the topic we're on is kind of on like tips for people, another tip I'll give is to, and I'm fairly new to this over the last couple of years, but if there's an animal you keep get out to the place where it's from because you can learn a lot from being in those. That's right. We haven't even talked about the fact that you've been to Australia. Yeah. And I've, I learned a lot being there. I mean, it also got me to buy more stuff that I would have no interest in. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, especially when you go with Nick and he turns into a salesman, when you mention something while you're, you know, when you find it, I feel like if you're with Nick and he shows you something, I've got some of these, I've got some of those, I've got some of the, and he's like, I can get you everything we saw today. Yeah, so I like we're driving down a road and there's a big sign that says gelatin. And I was like, oh, you know, this is where jungles are. I hope we find some. And Nick's like, oh, do you want to buy some? <laughs> I have some. And next thing I know, I have a pair of Palmerstons, a pair of gelatins, you know, almost got a pair of Cape York. <laughs> all from All from driving down a road and then sitting in a lake talking about all the different localities. That's but yeah, really cool. get I'm really and, hoping. And I know you wanted to, you'd mentioned, I think you had mentioned one time going to 
Indo, right? Or Sumatra? Yep. yep, I'm going. I'm supposed to go uh, the end of October, beginning of November, and then also to Komodo Island. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm super stoked about that because that's the same thing. That's the area where the snakes I love are from. I so, think Komodo's been closed so. for the last year or two, right? I think they're about to close it down, which is why I really wanted to go. I, uh, I thought. I, I love my Kenyan sand boas, but it's too damn hot in Kenya, so I'm just going to look at pictures. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'll just go. The sand looks really good. I bet there's snakes underneath there. I say that as, like, I'd go, I want to go to the Amazon. I know it's hot there, but there's a lot of things I want to see in the Amazon. Like Next time you go to Australia, Chris, let me know. I'll go, too. Well, I, I was supposed to be there a couple of weeks ago, and oh, no. they shut their borders. We were supposed to go to Western Australia this time, and that didn't work out. I'd love to go to Australia. I know it's hot as hell there too, but I would love to go there. I just, it's, you know, it's not that bad. the The first trip I went on, there were nights where we slept, and because we did the first trip, we did Queensland to Cape York, and the second trip, uh, Cairns to Cape York. And then the second trip, we did Cairns and Brisbane. But that first trip there, there were nights where we were camping where we had sweatshirts and pants on because it was cold at night. Really? So it may be hot during the day, but then at night, the temperature dropped. And then that that second trip was, was hot, though. That was that really hot year. Where, I mean, something like when we were in Queensland, something like 30,000 bats just dropped out of the sky. Jesus. Because it was so hot. And then everything was on fire. So it was even hotter. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, fire tends to make stuff hot. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's worth if you deal with the heat for two weeks, and you could get out there and find find plenty of stuff. I think it would be cool as as much as we take like bearded dragons for granted in the hobby. They're fucking everywhere in the hobby. It would be neat to see one on a rock in the middle of Australia. Like, oh, I I still I get excited a, when I see green anoles in my backyard. Yeah, I have an a room full of carpet pythons and we found our first carpet python on the road and we all went crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Did you all like jump out of the car and go running? Yeah, we all jumped out of the car and ran for it and taking pictures and it's like, it's no different than any carpet python, you know, other than looking, you know, instead of being bright yellow and black, it looks like a real jungle wood. (laughs) Which is maybe not bright yellow. Like like a coastal. (laughs) You know, we all jumped out and, you know, just for everything, geckos, like little geckos, just finding them. It was, you know. I'm the person that would love to go to Australia just for the geckos. <laughs> I love Australian well, geckos, like, all I, of them. I've talked before. I can't believe it. And I've got to do it sometime in the near future. Just go out west. I mean, we have such an amazing collection of reptiles out west, and I haven't been out there to find any of them. I would love to go out there and find, you know, rattlesnakes out there and find some of the lizards out there and just – they're here. They're in our own country. I, just, I never. I have a friend in Utah who um, goes and posts picture all the time of all the different rattlers that he finds. Yeah, I, I've got to get out more. April, you got to come visit. We're gonna go to West Texas. Okay. I, I've got <laughs> okay. Robert. Robert Power said he has a place that we could hang. I think it was Robert that we could go in West Texas. Um, I won't say no. <laughs> so. Well, I guess we probably need to wrap it up. We've been over it's over two hours now. Oh my gosh, I've I been talking to you crazy people for two hours? I can't believe I completely... Fr- it's your fault, Ray, or April, that I didn't remember to talk about Australia. 
Okay. Because you had told me about it before we had Chris on. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then it wasn't until like two hours in, he mentioned Australia. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Chris went to Australia. You know what? It's okay. Because, Chris, you're going to go again, right? Uh, well, we actually talked about going again since this trip got canceled. We were like, oh, we'll go again. We'll go in December. And now Australia is not opening their borders until next year. So who knows what we're doing? At this All right. Point. So maybe next year. We'll have you uh, on again. And we'll I, talk about- definitely, I definitely want to go back. Yeah. Is there anywhere else you want to go? Um, no, I, I've been down to Costa Rica and, you know, I've done, done, uh, a few part places in the U S. Um, but I, Australia, I like to go back just because it's so big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we did, you know, a big portion of the northeast of Australia, and I'd like to do the west just because I'm, you know, it's a completely different. Even seeing like animals that live in both the east and west, they still look different, you know. So I'd, I'd like to see see that side of Australia. Well, I imagine you want to try and see at least one of everything you have, right? Yeah, I mean, I've seen the carpets already. I've seen the. Um, I've seen the pygmy banded python. That's that undescribed. Like they don't know if it's a subspecies of Stimpsons or something totally different. Yeah. They're just much smaller than, than most Antaresia. Um, so I've seen Antaresia and then carpets, uh, and then blackheads, um, chondra. I saw the green tree python. So scrubs. That's cool. So, so yeah, I'd like to uh I'd like to see all the localities of carpet that I have. I would also like to just I want to see a kangaroo in the wild. I know they're everywhere and I know you, it'd be easy to find one. But like a kangaroo or you know, an emu or so a cassowary. A, a cassowary would be cool. <laughs> that was when you went with Eric, right? Yeah, me, Eric and Rob and Rob Yeah, that's where he almost died. Yep, Rob took a turn down a path and then he backed up like he saw a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> that look, I've been in an enclosure with a cassowary, but I had a pole in front of me. If it came at me, I could try and keep it off of me. But I couldn't imagine coming across a wild one with a chick. I, I just yeah, myself. Two, two chicks. Uh, all the worst thoughts in my mind would just start hitting at one time. Uh, it, it's a freaking I dinosaur. Like, pissed myself. I would have been so scared. <laughs> I mean, it's like walking up on a velociraptor. It's like I've watched Jurassic Park. I know how this ends. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's an dinosaur, awesome story but... to say that, though. It's an awesome story because they walked away and nothing happened. Okay, yeah. It's, I guess a, way wor- it's a way worse story if that bird decided, I'm going to kill these Americans. Yeah, if we went with three people and came home with two, it probably would have... I guess, it, de- I guess it depends on which two you come home with. Yeah, I mean, if I came home, it would probably be a happier story then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we lost, we lost Eric. Oh, well. No biggie. <laughs> That wasn't a short joke either, Eric. <laughs> Eric, she's making fun of you because you're short. It wasn't me. I didn't say it. It rolled out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, that could be taken the wrong way. I'm like, well, I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, you're short. Take that, Eric. All of your oh, other podcast yeah. people. So funny. All right, so let's, let's wrap this up. All right, uh, Chris, if, if people want to get a hold of you because you're breeding those awesome caramel to caramels this year and you have those babies, how can they – follow you and keep up with that uh it's just my name on facebook chris Salemi. i don't have a business page or anything like that 
Um, usually once I have stuff available, I'll post it. You know, it's a little harder on Facebook now, but that's usually how you'll see me selling stuff or on Morph Market, just my name. Yeah. If you see that on his Facebook, don't ask him how much they are on the post, people. Stop asking people how much things are on Facebook. We can't do that. Private yeah, it'll get filtered people. and deleted. Private or you'll get banned. Someone. I've had people yeah. have pages get banned. Oh, yeah. I've, I've known people that have gotten their pages banned off of Facebook. I just go to Morph Market now. I don't even bother with Facebook. Like, I'll show pictures of stuff, but I won't make post, it ad-like at all. Well, like when a, when a litter's born, I'll post a picture of a litter. But the problem is when a litter's born, I automatically get, hey, will you hold those, wholesale those to me? I'm like, dude, they were just born. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Designer Exotics on YouTube and Instagram and on Facebook or April Justine on Facebook. That is me. When's the last time you did a YouTube video? A really long time ago. Um, I'd say it's been well, a while. Maybe I've done them, but maybe haven't posted them. But uh, I post much more. I will post all my videos that I do on Instagram stories or Instagram TV, IGTV. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and then I put it on YouTube kind of like for safekeeping if something happens to Facebook and Instagram that I still have them. Uh, but the last video I did was setting up an egg box. And then my next video is going to be when I get babies and how to set up my babies. Cool. Let's say I, haven't seen one, I haven't seen one in a while. But you also had an actual job. So you've been slightly busy. Yeah, I have. And only been home for a very short amount of time. So it's like chores, 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 go back to work. So it's been a little bit difficult. Uh, if you need to find me, you can find me at Simply Serpents on Facebook or Simply Underscore Serpents on Instagram. Uh, I do have baby Kenyan Samboas right now. If anybody's interested in an awesome first pet or just wants to add awesome Kenyan Samboas because you saw Beetlejuice and you really like sandworms. Because that's what I think of when I think – or Tremors. If you ever saw Tremors, it's like owning a small Graboid. The same. Oh, yeah, Graboids. <laughs> just a little, it's just the best a little, movie ever. It, I <laughs> loved that movie as a kid. I I mean, trust so, like, that's one of those movies, though, like, as the sequels came out, they really got worse. Uh, like, Back to the Future did pretty good. Those sequels got good. Uh, uh, you know, some, like, Indiana Jones, those sequels got really good. Tremors, holy crap. Have you watched some of the sequels? I've seen them all. Oh, my God. The ones, the, the ones that <laughs> fart fire and fly? <laughs> oh, God. People are listening to that, that can't be real. No, seriously, that's the premise behind Tremors 3 is, uh, I think it's 3. They, they fart and fly. But the original Tremors is still one of the best movies ever made. So that's why that's one of my things. Like when I when I do shows with Sam Boas, I'll either do it. I had people at Slash Show reference them also. They'd reference Tremors or Beetlejuice. Um, so anyways, if you need Sam Boas, come find me. If you want to get a hold of us, it is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram. Which I, we need to post more on Instagram. Yep. Uh, that's your job, uh, <laughs> on Facebook. And then you can find us obviously on all the different podcasting platforms each week. Again, check. We will have posts. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you're thinking, what questions you might have. Uh, I think we're going to start reaching out to some of our listeners, maybe to come on the podcast. We'll see. Uh, so some of you may get a special little message from me, especially if you send animal penis pictures to April, we may contact you just saying April really wants animal penis pictures 
You know they're already going to do that just to like. I know. I'm, mess I'm looking. With me. I'm looking forward to again the weirdest animal penis. And just because yours is slightly different color doesn't make yours weird. She doesn't want to see yours. Nope. Animal, animal, non-human animal penis pictures. Uh, ducks right now are in the lead <laughs> for the weirdest penis. So. Oh gosh. <laughs> that is it from us. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. It's been yeah, great. no problem. Thanks for having me. And we'll have to yeah, actually have you on you. again and talk about Australia because we completely skipped past Australia. Yep, I love to talk about that. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.